What is up and welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. Holy shit, you guys, I am really excited about this one. This is a pretty full circle one, if I'm being honest. Uh, with me this week is Johnny Minardi. Johnny now works at Electra Music Group, which is fueled by Ramen, Roadrunner Records, uh, amongst several others. Um, but before that, Johnny worked at Equal Vision and we met at that time when we were working together and I've kind of named him my mentor. Like we kind of started saying it as like a joke, but to be honest, I've learned a ton about what I know in music from this man. So he's been a very close friend of mine. He's taught me a ton. He's always been there and he's extremely fucking good at what he does and knows a whole lot, has worked on every side of music and it, God, this episode is just so good, and it's, there's so many gems. Uh, I don't know. I, I was, I was, I wanted to wait to do it to make sure that I felt good about the podcast, just because his story is so important to me, and he's done so much. So, with that said, this episode is a little bit longer. This episode hits two hours. I promise you, it is worth it. Um, he just has such a crazy story, he is such a good story, and has done so much that it just took that much time to like get into those details and to properly tell the story. So uh, you learn a lot about his early days, you learn a lot about what got him into it. He was a part of the most magical Chicago music scene ever, like in the times of like Fall Out Boy coming up and all of like the Fueled by Ramen bands from there, like we get into that. Um, we also then get into, you know, just like his whole path, but also at the end, we get into a lot of like actionable items and things that you can do as either an artist or somebody working on the industry side to get better and to improve and to get noticed in the right ways. So not only does he have a really crazy cool story, he also has really crazy cool advice and like actionable things to take away from this. So I do apologize for a slightly longer episode, but damn it, do I promise it is worth it. So I'll try to keep the intro as short as possible just because I really do want to crack into it. Like I always say, if you do like the episode, please share it on social media. That is the most helpful way to spread the podcast, to help me grow it, all that good stuff. So uh, screenshots, sharing on Twitter, Instagram, whatever you want to do, that's the move. I'm Andrew at, or I'm sorry, at Andrew underscore FTW, and he is at Johnny Minardi on everything. So with that, let's get into it. Where are all my friends? Enjoy. So welcome to Where Are All My Friends. It's Thanks for finally having me. real. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming. It's been fun to talk about and watch you do what you're doing. Yeah, it feels like a really full circle moment. I'm stoked on it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, same. Um, so, okay. So I think the first thing is for anybody that doesn't know you, just like a brief introduction on who you are and what you do. Dope. My name is Johnny Minardi. I started a record label when I was 18. Well, before that, I started street teaming for a ton of bands when I was like 13, 14, just junior high and high school. And I was the kid always finding music and showing all my friends and passing out samplers and stickers and cassettes and CDs and whatever, any companies. I signed up for everything. So I just basically got way too much stuff. And I was just that kid at school. So it was fun. And then when I was 18, I found a couple local bands and I just said, fuck it. I want to figure out how to 
put these bands out and I didn't know anything and dove in, had a fun for like three and a half years and signed a bunch of stuff that was very local, but then it kind of expanded and it was bands like Hidden in Plain View and Gatsby's American Dream and Academy Is and all three of them went on to other bigger labels. So I was starting to kind of meet other labels and at the time Academy Is signed to Fubar Ramen, which then I went with and had a great relationship with the owner. Um, so I moved down to Tampa, worked with him for eight years, uh, not all in Tampa. They moved from Tampa to New York. I moved back to Chicago, but I worked at Field Bar Roman for eight years. Um, he left, and then in that interim, I left and started a management company, self-titled management, which I still do today. That was 2012, so it's coming up on seven years this October, which is crazy. Um, and then in the meantime of that, a couple of years later, I started working at Equal Vision Records yeah. and was there for a little over two years. And just now, about two years ago, I'm back at Field Bar Ramen with the Electro Music Group and Roadrunner and a few other labels in the label family. So that is kind of the really quick version of the last, fuck, what is that now? Like 20 plus years-ish yeah, at this point. Crazy. So good companies though. Yeah. So, okay. So there it is. That's the intro of it. And then take me back to the early days of like the simplest question. Where are you from? I am from right outside Chicago, Illinois, in the suburb of Des Plaines, where O'Hare is. That's what it's most famously kind of located. Oh, that's where the there. airport is. Yes. It's right on the edge of Des Plaines and Rosemont. So that's mm-hmm. kind of, and whenever anyone would fly in, it was actually perfect because anyone music business really that would fly in, I would always pick them up from the airport and take them to lunch. That was like my sneaky Damn, way that to meet early people. Shoeing. Yeah, it was great. Cause it was like, Oh, you're coming to Chicago. You're flying five minutes from me. Can I just grab you, grab lunch and then you'll be on your way. So it was like a good little sneaky intersect. Wow. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Okay. So from this plains and you pretty much grew up in that area, right? I did. I lived there until I was 21 when then I moved to Tampa. But yeah, I grew up right, um, you know, just a very Midwest suburban life in the sense of skateboarding, music, concerts, um, you know, kind of whatever. Get a little bit of boredom here and there to get into trouble, but nothing too crazy. Yeah. Well, okay, that like literally ties into it. I was going to ask you like what were hobbies then? So like skateboarding. Yeah, I mean, from probably like sixth grade on, sixth grade into high school was like just pretty heavy Every day after school, skateboarding, going into the city of Chicago to uh, to go into skateboard on like a Saturday morning. You'd go, you'd take the train for like two bucks, go down there all day for like eight to nine hours, and then you'd get shooed from every spot. So you'd go, oh, here's security. You got to go to the next one, the next one. We just kind of had a course planned out in a way. Oh, shit. So. so you were like in it in skating. Like that was. Yeah, I tried. But then years later, someone was just like, man, remember like how bad we sucked? And it was like the other sucky kids. And I was like, we did. And like, uh-huh. I didn't think at the time, but then I like looking back, I was like, Oh yeah, I guess we weren't that good, but we just had a lot of fun and just associated with it. Did you guys, cause I remember I had a similar thing where like, I thought I was so yeah. in it and like, I never thought I was like, great. I'll say that. I, I definitely like thought I could like hold my own. And then like, you know, a kid from another town would roll up and just like destroy your whole friend group. And you're like, Oh, oh cool. Dude. Like, I was going to say, did you guys ever, uh, like film skate videos? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I look back at them now. One of my friends has like the archive of the hard yeah, drive of, of that. And I look back and it's like, it's worse than I, like, it's oh, nowhere you've seen near. it like recently? 
like a couple of years ago. Oh man. Yeah. That's what brutal. I'm saying. I haven't. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's a real good check. Yeah. I like, think it'd be embarrassing. I, 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 in my mind, I'll remain a little bit better than I for sure was. Mm-hmm. Like I was not good com- mm. compared to anything. And now I really know that now. Yeah. Like I'd be like if I spent two weeks right now every day, I'd be better than I was skateboarding for years. Could you like skate stairs back in the day? I mean, nothing ridiculous, like five stairs or five something. Stairs good. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But like not consistently. Like right. that would take a couple hours to figure out for sure. If but you got a five stair in your course of your day, like you were fucking. That was a great day. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. a strong day. Yeah, we were probably sure. around the same. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely no flexing at all, though. It was more just like a culture that I was yeah. attracted to. And it was more friend group, you know, camaraderie shit. But it is funny because like finding that as an early hobby, like what skateboarding teaches you and like that, like whatever that mentality is, whatever that camaraderie, that group, that alternative from other sports, like feels like it matters. And I don't know why. I agree. Yeah. I feel like it's such a piece of a lot of people's stories, a lot of successful people that aren't even in skateboarding, but it's like a weird, like x factor that like you figure out because you're like an outcast in a weird way or you kind of make yourself one at times or whatever it is and then you just become this like i don't know something that you're not yeah prior you what know so i don't know and it's the can you know the the consistency of having to do something to get decent is hard you know yeah. whereas like not to take down other sports as i do love a lot of other sports and still play but it's like making a free throw you know, yeah. you could work on it for like a minute and be better at it. Whereas like skateboarding, there's nothing you could do in a minute to make you better. Yeah. You know, like it just, everything was prolonged and a lot more like degree of difficulty was way. And then it was like a fear thing too, where you're like, I'm not fucking trying that thing. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And, and then you have to like, I remember the fear of dropping in the first time. Totally. That was like everyone's like breaking moment, I feel like. And then your friend did it. So they try to convince you how easy it was. And you're like, you're, no, it's still hard. Yeah. I'm still not excited at all. Yeah. And then you do it once. You're like, oh, I'm a God. I know exactly what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, load me up. Where's the 12 footer? And you're just like, dude, that is too real. Yeah. That's a funny moment. Oh, my God. Okay. So, yeah. So that was like an early hobby with skateboarding. Yep. And then did that. Like, where does that evolve to? Like, you go from skateboarding into music or like... Yeah, this whole time while skateboarding, I was kind of, like I said, street teaming. And I remember getting invited to a concert early on, you know, probably in late elementary school. It was... I remember the exact day, actually. It was December 1st, 1996. I went to a radio festival and it was headlined by Corn right after they put out Life is Peachy, which was at the time my favorite. Oh, um, and, this but, like, explains New Metal Johnny. Totally. But at the same show, it was like Weezer and Bloodhound Gang and Fiona Apple. You know, it was like one of those radio, like okay. very strange, like 10 band bills. They each played like 25 minutes, I'm sure. Yeah. So that was the first show. And I was just so confused. Like, whoa, this is awesome. Like people get to do this. Like it was a, one of those like eye-opening moments. And then like... Um, I think a friend in seventh grade asked me to go see Smashing Pumpkins and I didn't go because for some, it was like sold out. And at the time you, you know, you didn't know how to get tickets if it was sold out, even when it wasn't sold out, it was hard to figure out how to get tickets at the time. Oddly enough. It's so funny to think about. It was crazy. Cause it was like, he invited me. He's like, yo, I know someone that could get tickets to this show. And that like, think about someone saying that to you right now. That makes no sense. But at the time, I was like, what? And I would like tell my friends, be like, yo, he knows someone that could get us into the show. Holy shit. Yeah, it was a really strange like moment where you're like, oh, I guess you're not really taught that you could just walk up and buy tickets. 
Yeah. So it's a weird like thing. So, and then he was, I was like, well, what time does it start? Like asking all these questions. And he was like, well, usually they bring out like an opening band. I'm like, what? You get to see more than one band? Like it made no sense. So it was like this weird like thing to me that finally, like I didn't go to that show, but then like I started getting invited to other shows and go see all these, you know, I went to like, obviously if you follow me on any instagram or whatever it's like i went to so many new metal shows and yeah. that was just my shit it was just my high school buddies and everything you know one of our parents would take us drop us off pick us up a couple hours later yeah be very concerned because the people that go to those shows alarmed our parents to yeah. say the least but we had a lot of fun and it was always it was just great it was really good and then on halloween 1998 my friends dragged me to see less than jake at the metro which they played two shows. They played a matinee and a late night show because they were just killing it at that time. So I went to that and I like walked in and was like, this is so different. This is like a different crowd. Uh, Oh, was it it like a club sized venue? Yeah, it was Metro. So it was like a thousand cap room. This was like the first lesser, like, well, no, because I did see like Incubus at that same venue, like five years earlier or something. So Whatever it was though, the com- the like difference in like people were younger and just like more people that looked like me versus like people that would like dress up like crazy fucking yeah. circus characters or whatever at a show, you know? So it was like a moment. And then I heard about like Fireside Bowl and like all these smaller venues that were like more punk and whatever you want to call it at the time. And you'd go there and like I had no clue how any of it worked. So I just kind of like got deeper and deeper into that culture where like I go see a show and there's four bands. I thought if all four bands were playing, then the he- the headliner that I liked must have really liked them. So I would buy all of their records. Oh I literally God. would go to the show and go up to the merch booth and buy a record from each of them. You're the perfect fan. It was the best. And like I didn't know, I like the first probably like 10 shows I did that. Wow. So and then I was like I'm spending so much money at these shows, I can't do this. I would go up to the band. I remember Whippersnapper who actually ended up on Feel by Ramen like a record or two after I saw them open for I think the Lawrence Arms or something. And I went up to their merch guy, which is probably just like their buddy or one of the band members, I guess I don't even really know. Don't even know. And I was like which one should I buy? And he was like, what do you mean? Like, cause they had like four records out and I was like, well, which one's the best one? And I'm like asking the, the artist probably. And then I was just like, well, I'm going to buy one, but I don't know which one. And I have no idea what you guys even sound like. So what's the best entry yeah. point? And they were just like, they would point at a record. I'm like, cool, here's eight bucks or whatever it was. Yeah. And I would do that to each wow. merch dude. Perfect and I would literally fan. leave with like a stack of CDs, no shirts, no nothing, just all CDs every time. Just to learn the music. Yeah, because I was like, well, if I love that band and they love these bands, I didn't know how like bills right. were made. That's so like honest and innocent and pure in yeah. like, the best way. But like, that's just a kid getting into music and loving totally. it. Totally. And it was just, I engulfed myself in it that way where I just had no idea. No one taught me that. No one taught me anything. I would just go to shows with this buddy that was like, yo, what are you doing Tuesday? Like, yeah. I don't know. Oh, there's a $8 show. You want to go? Great. Fuck yeah. Okay. So, so I had another question though. So if you're... In you said this is like high school ish at this point, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. So all you're high school. in high school, access to Chicago as a city. You're skateboarding and you're going to shows. That could be a parent's nightmare because like those totally. those things could lead to like you running with like sketchy crowds and yeah. whatever. And I for sure probably did. Like, I was gonna say like I bumped into a lot of those crowds. Were you like a good kid? Yeah, I think early on my parents and I had a very good understanding of like what like what was safe versus not safe, what their expectations of me were, but also like the freedom to figure it out myself. And like, even like drugs and alcohol in my house were like very openly talked about in a sense of like, 
my mom would talk to me about stories when she was growing up and was like, I look, I understand you might do this, you might do that, but you never drive, you never do this. And it was just like, oh shit. Um, it was just like this honest thing to where then I felt like, well, they're not lying to me like most other parents are where they're like, I never did this. Don't do anything. And so then all my friends got like scared into doing stuff in a weird way. If that yeah. Makes sense. No, I can relate to that because my parents kind of gave me that freedom as well. Yeah. And I just once once it was like a freedom, I kind of had not much interest in it. Yeah. Like I drank at an early age, but I definitely did no drugs until like my 20s. And I say that when I said like I smoked weed a few times. Yeah. Like it was definitely not like anything beyond that. So it's like once the freedom was there for me, it was a very interesting like, I don't know. It wasn't like my friends did it to rebel, but like I almost was like, well, my my parents kind of told me all about this shit and it's not that exciting. And Yeah. You and know. almost, I mean, if it's anything like my story, like when you when you know you have that freedom you almost like respect your parents because yeah. you see the sketchy kids when you're out skating and you see like what kind of trouble you could get into and you're totally. like damn my parents are down for me to do this like yeah. i don't want to fuck this like up. they never questioned it yeah ever. so like i almost didn't do shit just out of like an i don't want to fuck this up because yeah. i like the good part of this and i don't care about yeah and they never asked me too many questions like they would catch me every now and again having like alcohol in my room or something and then like i would get in trouble for it and like it would get figured out you know it'd be fine but it was never like this like you're going to boarding school or like fucking crazy like it was just like look don't be an idiot yeah. like you got your priorities you have to keep your job you have to go to school you have to do these things and like just do them however you need to get through them like yeah. do them you know so yeah. it was uh interesting time no, but yeah there's freedom for sure okay that paints the picture yeah. So you're going to high school, skating, going to shows, and then what is the next piece of the story of you get to the point of starting your own label? Am I missing anything before you get to that? No, that's okay. that's that's a lot of it. I mean, like I said, I was tied into just like finding stuff or like whatever in that regard. But I feel like um, when I graduated high school, I started working at a record store. Um, so I just like kind of, again, continue to immerse myself in different aspects of everything. And while working there, like I would see like local bands come in and shuffle their CDs and go, Hey, can you, we, you know, we play up the road all the time. Can you guys take three CDs on, um, I forget what they used to call it. Um, and just say like, you know, as you sell them, we'll come pick up our cut of it. It's like, Oh, okay, cool. That, mm -hmm. And I was like, that's so weird. Like that band put out their own CD. Like it never made sense to me. Like I didn't understand the rules of like oh. record labels or any of it. So then when I worked at the store, we, you know, we got all this information, whether it be like, here's a one sheet for the new over it record. And here's a promo copy of the new lucky boys confusion record, which is a Chicago band. Yo. And, you know, it's like all these things where I was like learning, like, Oh, this labels want us to like it. So then we stock it and we tell people about it when they come. So I was like learning the different like levels of how the process works. And I was just like, you know, when I was in high school, I made friends with my, this dude, Tom Conrad, who later went on to be in the Academy is for the first a uh, couple of years of their band. Oh shit. Okay. So he would always wear shirts where like band shirts where it was like small brown bike, hot water music, like get up kids, like all this shit. So I didn't know him, but I would always see his shirts and I would like literally go home and this is before like Spotify and YouTube even. Yeah. And I would like have to find a way to like find a song by that band. And what I, year? Probably 2000 or 2001. 
Yeah, shit. So like internet is obviously It's like there, Napster. But like, like Napster yeah. is what I probably went to and was yeah. like Hot Water Music, which is a bad title cuz music's in the title and then it's Right. It's so you're just, just digging through I'm the I'm getting weird shit, but I'm Napster. finding bands that I really like and I'm yeah. like, damn, this dude's got good taste in music. I'm literally like creeping watching him in the hall being like, "Oh, cool." You're and, just like influenced by all these people yeah, around you that very are taking genuinely shows. excited. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So I went and whatever, and then we kind of became friends eventually. I think, I don't know how I broke the ice to like, be like, oh, dude, you like good shit. You know how fucking high school works. I don't know what lunch table or we had a mutual friend finally, so I could ask. Um, And then he was like, oh yeah, I'm actually in a band like 504 plan. I was like, oh, cool. And then he like gave me a a CDR of their, their lap, their seat, whatever the latest recordings were. And I was like, I took it home and I legitimately like loved it. Like in the sense where I was like, this is just as good as the bands that I've learned from him. Yeah. So I very, again, I was like an innocent, like bystander of like watching this cool thing happen. And I was like, dude, like when are you playing next? So I'd go to a show and eventually like I met, I would go to their practices and like, I would just start to be like the fifth member of the band where I was like, all right, so I heard about this show. You guys should probably play it. Like, figure out these, like, very weird, like, whatever. And then I'd go with them early, sound check, help them, like, set up. Yeah. Sell their merch. And eventually they're like, what are you, like, what are you doing this for? I was like, I don't know. I just really like your band. Like, I had no expectation or no reason to do it. I just yeah. liked it. And I was like, it's weird so, when you can think about it this way of, like, they legitimately were, like, one of my favorite bands to where I was like, one of my favorite bands, like, I can hang out with. And yeah. I could help and just do whatever they need to get bigger. And I didn't understand why. I was like, why don't why aren't labels signing you? And they're like, they would kind of laugh because they've been around music longer than I was, or at least industry side of that, whatever you think of it. You and, just had like this very like genuine, like, this is awesome. So why not this attitude? Yeah. Like, I love this band. So of course I'd help. Totally. Where other people would be like, well, wait, like, what about this? Or why aren't you considering this? Like, no one ever gave you that doubt. So totally. you were kind of just like, well this seems right. Yeah. I was like naive in a good way yeah. of not having the information and, and coming from like the background of street team to touch back on that. It's like, I was always a kid that would find stuff early and then show everyone. So I was like, man, if I showed more people this band, yeah. more people would like it. Cause it's good. And it's better. It's not just like I'm pushing a band I don't know or care about. It's like legitimately the, for the first time I'm like, Hey, this band goes to our high school or like two of them, one of them does. And the other ones go to down the street and whatever and it was like come to the show friday it's five bucks who cares just come just come and yeah. i'd get five new people or 12 new people or like whatever minimal amounts but it was like they're like dude what are you doing this is crazy like i'd like like little pieces that would help and then eventually they were like recording showing me new songs that they wrote but they didn't record them yet and i was like well are you gonna sign to a label and they were like well we'd love to but that's you know you just don't get record deal you just yeah. gotta still do this and i yeah. was like oh okay and none of our friends had signed to a label yet right so we didn't know it like was possible even right well especially then too like internet is less accessible so yeah. like it definitely seems like that was a time of like the label gods like totally it was gatekeeper less, all day yeah like there you was can't no access find your favorite labels or you're this people and fucking yeah. dm them or whatever like that's just not there totally like, yeah yeah and then i just approached him and was like well if you're not going to sign to a label why don't i put out your record why don't i start a label and i literally said it without a plan yeah and they were just like well what do you mean i'm like i don't know just let me put it out and yeah. then i'll tell as many people about it and they were yeah. kind of like i guess that's what a label is when it boils down <laughs> So I was like, yeah. So I literally took this. My grandma had like four grand set aside for me to go to college in a year Holy to like shit. to like go get books or whatever. You know, I don't yeah. even know. Um, so instead of going to college, I basically told my parents, "Hey, I want to use that money and put out my friends' bands." And they were like confused, but also like 
all right, you got a year. That's fucking, honestly, that's crazy. And that's awesome. Yeah. And they were just like, well, you got a year to figure it out. And if not, then you go get a job. And I was like, okay. Wow. So it was a strange kind of like couple weeks, I'm sure that I don't remember exactly the day and day of it, but they were really supportive. And so then I did it. And even with them, like I learned everything. I was like calling Best Buys and I was like, how do I get my band's record in your stores? And they're like, they would all laugh. Cause it's like yeah. a kid dude, at yeah. like the local one where he's like, dude, we get them sent to us. I don't even know Question. what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So I completely get like that perfectly naive in like the good way. But like, you're still a human and like, there had to have been points where like, you're calling Best Buy, they're laughing at you. Like there had to have been points where you were like discouraged or you're like, what am I, what is this? Like, did you run into that or did you like, were you truly just that fired up where you're like, I don't give a fuck. I'll just keep calling. Yeah. I just called the next one or, and then I just called like, I would watch other bands at our level or not our, I say our, but I'd say like local band level that took a step mm-hmm. and figure out the link between the two that was like, okay, that band wasn't selling anything. And then all of a sudden I heard of him. How did that happen? So I would call like whatever distributor that I found that was like, what, what do you do? Yeah. What would you buy 10 of my records and give them the stores or whatever? Yeah. Um, and then the, the pivotal point was a band called knockout from Chicago that we were all very close with. And the drummer Damar is now in plain white tees and he's been in the band forever. Um, so they signed, I was working at the record store still and they signed a fearless records. Wow. And this was a local band that we had played the pile of whore planted played probably like 20 to 30 shows with so you know what i mean homies. they were just Close. like like almost brother bands if there was such a thing as you know yep. there is um when they signed we all kind of were like no fucking way and it was like a thing where like i could then tell my parents or my friends like hey look our friends band that we play with run the same flyer here 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 and here like they just got signed like we're on to something like this is this is like happening for someone that we know so then they went in and they actually recorded their record with sean o'keefe and wow. like patrick from fall boy sang a bunch of like a bunch of harmonies on the record so it's like we were all starting to like grow into this area of like this real scene where it was like the knights of columbus stuff other Fireside. question yep okay the people that you just mentioned there yeah that's a very special <laughs> amount of yeah like got, that's a, a collection of people yeah like you're saying like fallout like uh patrick from fallout boys singing on it yeah um what was his name that drummed in playing with tees or uh damar damar yeah damar there and like obviously that band like mm-hmm. or went on to be playing with tees uh you have like this very special roster or like collection of people sure. that have now gone on to do crazy shit right at that time did it feel like it was like something special or that maybe those people would go on to There was a switch, but early, no. I mean, they were playing skate parks to 12 people. Like, it was all of those bands. You know what I mean? So it's like, we just literally were having fun. And then you'd meet up with another band and be like, hey, let's go play three shows together somehow. Like, And then I would call, like something in Milwaukee, whatever venue to be like, Hey, I have two bands. I want to come up. Do you have two Milwaukee bands I could play yeah. with? And like, you just set yeah. up a terrible tour. So it like was just people one. doing what they love. Yeah. Wasn't and really it was just like thought all of... like-minded, all trying to build this little Chicago scene. Um, and, it, and then, yeah, we start, like I said, the knockout thing made yep. us all realize, Oh shit, it could work. Okay. Like, this is great. And that was the moment, those were the moments, um, that we all kind of leaned back on. And then like, yeah, like you said, a lot of those people from those scenes, then like, Fall Boy came in and it was like Strugglesville for them for a minute where they were like putting out stuff. And, you know, again, they were struggling with the same thing. There was like 20 people a show, then 50, then 80. Like they did the steps, like the yeah. real steps. And then there was a moment where I, I think we were at like the Wheaton Grand Theater or something where I was sitting 
right after soundcheck with pete going he's just like why why aren't labels like grabbing us like all these other bands are getting signed that we've kind of played with or played a show with and whatever and i was just like what are those other bands um kind of Plain White Tees and Knockout and Lucky Boys and there was a couple other in that scene. I don't really remember their names that were like kind of getting grabbed. Like okay. there was like two separate scenes combined into one, and the other scene was getting like pulled. Like like Lucky Boys and Plain White Tees were kind of in the other one. Yeah, and they were like getting signed way faster and more often. Yeah, than like our guys, and we were all like, "What the fuck?" Like we were so confused. Yeah. Um. And then yeah, when when they put it out, I'm skipping August premiere as well because they were one that I put out on yeah. LR that signed a Feel by Ramen, but only put out one record and didn't really do a whole a whole lot outside of a couple tours. But just to uh, add the fact that there's even more. Bands. Yeah, there's like bands getting looked at in Chicago yeah. a little bit more. So, so you're sitting with Pete. Yeah, and he's just kind of like, man, like I don't. And I this is when I had already heard three songs from Take This to Your Grave. And I think they ended up on the record almost as we heard them. Good fucking God. Yeah, and I remember the moment that their, this dude, Andrew Jacobs, who I went to school with, was their tour manager. And he brought the three songs over, like literally straight from the studio. Just we were hanging out one Saturday night. And he like played me the three songs. I think it was Dead on Arrival, something, I don't remember what the second one was, and then Saturday. And I remember when he played me Saturday, which they still close every show with, 20 or however many years later what do you want to call it like oh 17 years later from when i heard it and he literally played it and when i heard patrick go to falsetto and all of it i was like i literally sat there and was like play that again and then he played it again and i was like play that again and like i figured out like what the difference is between a local band and a real band like that moment where i was like they did it they found the secret code like that's how i felt so when that happened, my whole brain shifted where I was like, oh, it's not, you have to do something really special. And they hadn't, the crazy part is they hadn't even been signed yet. Like I remember Militia Group flew out, like all these labels at the time that they were like about to sign to, drive through Epitaph, all of them. And then he was just like, why aren't these labels signing? And I had already heard those songs. I was like, you're fine. Like, don't do anything different. Yeah. Just keep playing shows. and. He's smarter to know, like, I'm not the guy that, like, they almost broke up or whatever. Like, he was very much just, like, discouraged for a moment. Yeah. But, like, knew, he thought he knew what he had. And, yeah. like, it was kind of that moment where it was like, dude, you're fine. Yeah. Don't do anything different. Yeah. Like, just keep going. Those songs are, when people hear those three, it's over. Yeah. And then, at the time, too, we agreed that I was going to put those three out with a knockout split. Oh. And then, like, three months later, or I, we agreed to it before they recorded. And then I heard them, and I was like, well, that, that idea's gone. You like, already I, I was like, it's over, and I'm not going to hold you to that, like, go wherever you're going, and you have to go. Yeah. And so, once that happened, like, the FBR thing and the island thing and all the stuff happened with Take This to Your Grave, it was like, I would call Feel by Ramen because I knew him just through August Premiere. Yeah. And I was like, yo, when this Fall Boy record comes out, you're going to sell, like, 10,000 copies first week. And they laughed at me because they were like, you don't understand. The most we've ever sold in a first week is, like, 400 ever at the label. Right. So I was like... That's a crazy thing for Fueled by Ramen to say. It's funny to yeah. think back now. But I was very much like, you don't understand what's happening with this band and, like, whatever. And it came out, and I think it sold, like, 1,800 copies first week. So it, like, more than, like, quadrupled their best. And they, like, called their, like, you were off, but that was crazy. I was like, yeah, this is crazy. Like, you don't know, like, you've seen one show at the Metro or something. Yeah. But this is years of watching this thing. Yeah, like, you were just so in it from the core that you You could just feel this, like, craziness happening. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so, and in that time, so, LLR is developing. Right. And I know a couple pieces, because you and I have talked about this, but 
you're signing bands and just doing what you do, grinding away, promoting it wherever you can. It's fine. Um, and then you, the Academy is, is not called the Academy is. No, not yet. Um, and is Tony involved with yes. LLR? So LLR went through a few iterations, which is actually funny to look back on. Like I started it myself and I was always a guy that wanted like a teammate. Like I, for some reason, just didn't have like the confidence to be like, I do this. I'll call everyone. I always wanted like a partner. Yeah. Um, so I brought in a couple friends, Sean Van Vliet, who you've probably met. Oh yeah. Um, Sean Cummings, who's another one from Displains. All kids I grew up with. Literally everyone from Displains that I'm about to name. So um and and that was cool they were kind of bouncing in or out i don't think they had as much interest or like i was going to like let's call it a hundred shows a year they'd go up to like three like they just liked it but it wasn't like their passion they were just like this is cool though what you're doing yeah but it was always kind of like my thing and they would just like help and want to get involved or whatever no one ever really put money in or anything like that outside of me and then years later tony and i used to be really close in like grade school we would go to like baseball card trading shows and like trade oh. like VHS bootlegs of like corn and limp biscuit shows like real deep like we would just start like really silly businesses all the time yes so like but in high school he got really into like a car scene which you obviously know I've now I've nerded out with him yeah. heavy on that so we, him and I were close still but not like that as close as you know where you went where you doubled down on music he doubled down on cars totally yeah. but then we like kind of randomly started hanging out a little bit more again through whatever friendships or whatever yep um and that was kind of showing him stuff and he like lit up like he totally like understood it and like he was actually kind of still living the culture or like wanting to and then kind of came full back in and it was like perfect partner for wow. everything because he had such a different mindset yep. of like how how business operates and like you know we liked all the same music so it wasn't a, ever a conversation but yeah. he was always just like we're spending too much money i'm like we have to this is how it works you have yeah. to like go i mean we've spent so much dumb money like it's mm. unreal like if we talked about it now i mean we were everyone thought we were killing it with our releases we were like 30 i think it was just under thirty thousand dollars in credit card debt yeah like legit and we were like 20 grand under and gatsby's american dream who was one of our favorite bands like we approached them and they were like we connected and they're like, yeah, can you put out our next record? And we're like, holy shit. We thought they were joking, honestly. And then I was like, well, when a band like that asks you, you don't say no, you just figure it out. So we like opened two more credit cards and just went for it. It had no plan, just went That's, for it. I think that, and like, of course that'll evolve in the story, but like, I just think that that point is so important because like you, I don't know, fearlessly, but like you took a crazy risk yeah. and you just, no plan went into that much debt because you were that excited about it. And like, I feel like that ties in as a theme about a lot of things, but yeah. that's crazy. And I also love, like, I feel like Tony is that balance of like seeing you guys together yeah. in person now. <laughs> um, and Tony ended up back in music and has gone on to tour manage artists. And yeah. that is his professional career. Totally. He's so good at what he does. The and, business side. Like yeah. he absolutely, he was the best I've ever met at it. So yeah. he would keep me in check and then I would push back and then we'd find a middle ground of like, fine, fuck it. Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? So right? when you go into that 30, is he just like stressed? I mean, he's just like a... I do remember one time we, we lived together throughout all of this. And I remember one day he literally had a spreadsheet on his laptop that he like showed me all of our credit cards. And I was just like, what? That's all? We owe all that? 
And it was like a moment where he's like, that's what I've been telling you. It was like that business guy that like I wasn't listening to because I was just like, well, we have to. This band's great. We have to figure it out. You just go. You just yeah. go. And everything in music is like six months delayed at, at the best. Yeah. You know, if I sold... 500 Academy records. I wasn't seeing that money if I'm lucky for six months, let alone if you're ever seeing it because everyone's shady, like distributors and yeah. you know all the other companies. So it's not like you just get your Spotify. Royalties yeah, it's not a monthly TuneCore yeah. situation yeah. where it just drops in like two months after you sold it. It's not. Yeah. And then you'd get returns. So like our distributor would owe us like $6,000, but then they'd be like, oh, hey, but we got a ton of returns. So we're charging back 5,000. So you, here's a thousand dollars and you're like, well, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, fuck. It's just, it's moments that again, no one teaches you cause we didn't know anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we got really lucky too. Actually, there's a, a, a moment when we were doing that, um, Richard and Stephanie from drive through, we reached out to, and they gave it, they like literally were like, if you come out here for a week, you could literally shadow us and just learn from our label. And it was our favorite label drive through records. That is unreal that they did that. It's crazy. You. I think about it all the time and I still see them all the time and literally tell them that story. And they're just like, that's so crazy. So, um, so we, yeah, we literally learned from them and asked them every question. We were so annoying. Yeah. Like we were the most annoying people that they were, they would put us to work. We interned like basically for a week, like crash course and internship. Yeah. You um, drove Tony's Integra or my Integra, Integra we, out me, to California. and Sean Cummings, one of the other original dudes, we drove out to California for a week and just like hung. And I, previous to that, I flew out with the drummer of 504 plan like a year prior wow. for the same trip. They let us do it twice. And we just literally learned everything you can learn like as much as you can learn and they opened the books they like showed us everything gave us producer info gave us distributor info like put in calls for us because they really liked our bands early on yeah um so it was just a really helpful like one of those people that like you don't deserve but you kind of get and you yeah. take full advantage of not in a shitty way but in a way where like in retrospect like i did as much for them as i could yeah. along the way and i've noticed it's funny like hearing that part now because i think about it and there's this quote that you tell me that i'm not going to get right so tell me it if uh but like it's you talking about like passing the elevator back down yeah it's actually um a kevin spacey thing which is obviously a no-no to talk about at this point but uh, he basically said something like when people make it in hollywood you would always tell you could always tell what kind of person they are if they send the elevator back down mm. and it was like a moment that like was so effective to me to understand the simplicity of that where it's like taking the time to answer people you know as best you can because there's definitely times where i'm like now even i'm like you're you're being the guy now you're yeah. being the douchebag but there's times where I'm like, I literally am struggling to get everything that I actually need to get done by the end of today. Yeah. So I can't take time to listen to these seven bands that DM'd me or whatever. So, But the elevator back down thing, it's like, I feel like that your first experience of that or one of the first real ones was Richard and Stephanie. 100% was. And it's cool because like, yeah, okay, maybe you can't listen to every demo in a day, right. but like I have consistently watched you achieve new things and grow, yet consistently pass that elevator back down. Yeah, awesome. So like that's cool that maybe they were the ones that They for sure were. 100% were the people because it was like, again, we I that moment, the first moment I walked into the first drive through office that I ever did when I got to California for the first time ever, I remember that feeling of like within five seconds being like, I'm doing this the rest of my life. It was the exact moment. And I remember they had uh, on the window, they had a, a clingy um, poster thing um, that like record stores would hang. And it had the Blink-182 um, take off your pants and jacket promo photo and like this record coming soon. And I was just like, 
because they were very friendly with them and Blink took out Phoenix TX, which was like the first drive-thru band to ever blow up. And then I walked in and it was just like piles of like Finch posters or Starting Line or like all these bands that I just loved. And it was like, this is like Disney World to me. Like yeah. it felt like, and then they let us go and we worked for a week. And then at the last day, they let us go into their merch warehouse and be like, pick as much stuff as you guys can carry and just bring it out. Yeah. So like we each walked in, walked out with like 15 t-shirts of all of our favorite bands. So it was like a moment that I was like, I'm doing this. And the second I can do this for anyone, like I will, like it was just a really cool it all clicked. I hope you realize that when I come visit you at your office now, it is that feeling. <laughs> I hope so. And that's what I love to hear because it's literally, our new office is mind blowing anyway. Like I feel that way when I go like, oh, they're going to kick me out soon at some point. <laughs> so I totally, I hope that that is the feeling. Cause I remember the exact moment where I was like, these people answer my calls, they answer my emails, they help me and they run a business that is like so cool to me yeah. and it's their life and yeah. they make a lot of money doing it. And yeah. everyone at the time that I met through there, I still have somehow kept in contact with the guy wow. who did retail there, went on to manage the starting line and a couple other different pieces. And the, I met all these different chunks of people that like, that was 20 years ago now. So that's amazing. Yeah. So it was a really cool, just like eye opening. like, again, like we always listen to a podcast that find your mentor, find your like moments. And like, to me, that was my moment. And I like, I've still been so close with them throughout the 20 years and being at other labels or whatever. Now we talk about like working with, like they managed nothing but thieves and they took grandson out. So wow. it was like conversations like that. Like we had to like discuss that and like get it right and make it all work. And now they'll send me a band and be like, Hey, can so-and-so bring them out? Or what are you guys doing? You know? So it's like, now it's cohesive and great. That's amazing. No. And I like you have such a story, so I don't want to like super fast forward, but you have so much to tell. So those are early days. That's Chicago. You're starting LLR. Yep. Um, two really quick points. So LLR ends up putting out an Academy Is record. Yes. So we signed William Beckett to as Remember Main acoustic record. Um, was awesome. Started to get traction quickly became our best seller. Mm -hmm. It was like our fifth or sixth release. We put out 10 records total in three years. Um, it was our probably fifth release and it was great. We're taking them on tour, learning the ropes, doing everything like that. And then right as we started to like sell out of a pressing and press a new one, he was like, hey, I started a band. Uh, you guys should come check it out. And we were like so pissed because we're like, dude, we're finally like breaking. Even this is the first record we've ever not lost money on. Yeah. Like, don't ruin this. And then we went and... He was like, it's called the Academy. It, it's called the Academy. Right. And you guys should see it. And we came to the drummer's basement and they played, they only had two songs. It was In Our Defense and Memento Mori. And they played them, I think like three times each just to like, cause that's all they had. So they did this. And after the first time through, I think Tony and I kind of looked at each other. We're like, fuck, it's really good. <laughs> like, it was like, we wanted to be right, but we were wrong. Yeah. And then like, we had him play it again and then again, and we hung out for a little bit. And then we went our separate ways. I don't know if we had dinner that night or the next night, but like Tony and I talked about it. We're like, obviously. Run it up, credit yeah, cards, like, here, here we it go. goes. This is it. This is obviously what we're supposed to do. So yeah, we just convinced them to sign a, a record deal. We did three records with them uh, on the deal. And then we went to a point where um, that first one was doing so well that Pete Wentz had Decadence. And, and the first one was? Uh, it was just called, it was at first the Absolution EP, but it was just an EP. Okay. So it was before Almost Here. Okay. And then um, 
John, who ran Fieldball Ramen, flew out to see them open for Fall Out Boy, specifically to see them. So like me, Tony, um, and then William and Mike from the band lived together at the time where we were running LLR from. We were, just a, we were a really tight-knit group. And John flew out, stayed on our couch, um, hung with us for two days. And John just, Janik? Yeah. Stayed on your couch? Yeah, for a, a whole weekend. Damn it, I love that. Yeah, it's a funny one. And then we he literally would <laughs> just like deep dive into me and Tony's world, into their world, into the band. And then like at the end, he's like, look, I want to sign this band, but like I know you have them under contract for two more records or whatever. And we're like, yeah. And we're like, and here we are, like, we're about to get rich. Yeah. Like, we're going to get bought out. We're going to get a couple hundred grand. Like, this is all you Yo, hear about, right? Yeah. Like, you only hear those stories at that time. And he was just like, I'm going to level with you. And this is where he's a great negotiator later in life learning, but also learning that they didn't have a lot of money because they were truly like just breaking Fall Out Boy. And that was the first band that they were making real money off of. So he's like, we don't have the money, but like, we really want to sign them. Like, whatever like it yeah. kind of was very weirdly open-ended and then yeah. like the next couple of days in the house was very weird tension because it was like here's our two best friends that we've worked with for a year and a half two years now that were like kind of looking at us like please we're you're standing in between us and our dream like how do we work this out yeah so it got to a point where we were like well what's this really worth we're gonna have a disgruntled artist for the next five years that's probably gonna hate us or break up because we're not gonna get them big enough to stay they're all gonna have to go to college at some point so like whatever let's just fucking let them go and do their thing so we did it was very hard conversations but we tore up the contract and said go do your thing just you know whatever good luck and yeah. keep us around but fbr did buy it out no what it's free oh my god yeah we just tore it up we said fuck it oh my god yeah because we were just like we're not going to get anything great out of them anyway if they hate us that shows a lot about you guys because like damn like that is what at first you viewed was like your paycheck yeah and then you had to just go and be a good person and just like Kinda. Yeah, it was. I don't know the exact conversations we had, but it was a fucked up like. That's we have to do this, otherwise we're not getting anything great out of it, anyways, right? Holy shit! And I feel like I even called like Pete to discuss it, and he was kind of like, "Look, like that's that's like a strong move, and like I have to imagine that's going to come back around." Let then that happens, they go make a record. In the meantime, John calls us to offer us jobs to go work at Fuel Bar Ramen and all this other shit, and we kept saying no because we still wanted to do the label. Yeah, like three or four separate times we said no. Unreal. Yeah, it was crazy. And then I think even Pete reapproached us and was like, "Dude, what are you guys doing?" And we were like, "Yeah, I guess you're right." So like we called back, and it was like, at the time though, they had asked Tony to be their tour manager. Yeah. Um, so then I took the job, was moving to Florida, and Tony went on to be Academy's tour manager. So that's how we kind of like. That's when we were closed down LLR, where we were like, okay, we have to take us to, I was at the time 21, I think Tony was 21 as well, yeah. So we made the jump and like just had a huge like weight off of our shoulders because we were like, well, we still, well, we still owed all that money. Yeah. So that was like on our personal credit cards at that point because we Jesus. didn't have a real business. So yeah, whatever it was, that was the kind of leap of faith that like ended LLR and projected me into Feel by Ramen and then Tony onto tour managing. Which is crazy. Like what a foreshadowing because mm -hmm. like from 21 years old, like yep. Tony stays tour managing and like has gone on to tour manage Panic at the Disco and yep. like is the best of the best, like actually. Totally. And you have gone on to continue to climb the ranks of labels. So that crossroads right there at 21. It was a weird one, yeah. That's so nuts. And it there's was, no way you could have guessed No, that. and I think it was all just based on like, again, being naive. And I think there was a moment where I was like, this opportunity to go work at a label, like who am I kidding that like 
I can do it better than him when I should at the reason the tipping point for me was go and do it. And if it sucks and you hate it and you hate working for someone or it fails as a label in general, you could come back and pick up your label or start a new one. Like yeah. you're going to be a little bit smarter than you were when you started anyways. So it was this moment there was like a safety net of like, if it sucks, then you stop and come back. Yeah. But like, it wasn't like that the first couple phone calls. I was like, fuck him. Like, I'm going to do it my way and like, Kinda whatever. Just like tunnel vision or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then like, there was a moment actually that I was just sitting there like, I want to like try something. I want to go do anything I can to get to another level of this. Like, yeah. I love this. I know that. But I'm, tra- I'm signing great bands. They're, it's proof by they're going on to other labels. And I'm still not being able to turn a profit. So maybe I'm not cut out for this exact role right now. So go do anything. That could be my college, if you will. And then learn from it. And then like I just f- I got to the like Feel Bar Ramen at the exact right time yes. with all my friends too because Fall Out Boy was still there yep. and Academy Is was there. And yep. then like Gym Class Heroes was signing there. And I had just seen them play to like 40 kids at like a park district in Chicago. Oh my God. Like randomly through the drummer of 504 Plant who found oh them and showed God. Pete and I. So it's like all of these people found their ways through different weird like waves of everything what a magical time in that chicago music it was scene. so good that's and it was unreal and that's why it's like i always feel so bad when a kid's like well how do i build my scene it's like i don't fully know because <laughs> yeah, like, i got really lucky with super talented people but we did take full advantage of that like yeah. that's what i will say the one thing that i will give everyone a pat on the back for is like everyone kind of saw it and felt it and went all in it wasn't like a maybe this works but someone else is going to do it like we did it we booked the halls we paid the 500 hundred dollar deposits which were super expensive to us then some shows you wouldn't get it back and some shows you would lose money but you're like well whatever that band got a little bit bigger like it was a yeah, real community yeah. for real and it wasn't like anyone was getting rich no one at the time was making any money we were all working other jobs and pouring money in yeah and it built a real fucking scene of that's people still doing it that's important that's cool yeah it was fun that's really cool okay so then that brings you into fueled by ramen and what did you do at fueled by ramen um i actually started at retail because they were expanding so fast because fall boy was blowing up off take to see your grave and i had come from working at the record store for four years um, but also running my own label but the label was so small it only signed probably like two artists a year so it didn't need like more a and r because even if i found cool bands that we didn't, it was like a seven person company. It was like nothing. Yeah. So I moved down there to do retail. So I was the one doing all of the like getting records in stores, making sure that our shit was stocked or we had like different advertising programs or marketing programs with whatever local store you would go to and you yeah. know, where you were, where everyone grew up. So um, I learned really fast because I knew the record store side of it. Like I was saying earlier, we're getting promos and getting one sheets and posters and Alkaline Trio is putting out a record. So here's a box of 25 posters will get dropped on our doorstep. And I'd be like, cool. So I guess let's hang them all up and give them away with record purchases. Like so learning you, all those tricks. You became oddly qualified for that job just yeah, off which of I, your background. Yeah, just from putting out records and then also selling other records. Like I remember the first EP that Seosin put out when I worked at the record store. I would show anyone that came in remotely looking for a record in that genre, here, go listen to this. And they would listen to the first song on that EP and come back and buy it. Like wow. probably like an 80% like just cuz you were so turn. enthusiastic about it and you believed it. And I in thought it. it was so cool and I thought it was cool to be the guy that knew about something that someone else didn't yet, but yep. I knew they would love it. Yeah. So I was like you would love this and they would literally like 9 times out of 10 be like, 
holy shit. It was like a five song EP. So it was like $4. Yeah. So, so they were like, awesome. I'll take that as well. But here's, you know what I mean? Yeah, awesome. I probably single-handedly sold like four or 500 sales and EPs in that one store. Wow. Because I just had fun with it. I thought it was so funny to be like, this is incredible and you've never heard of it. Have you talked so you, to those dudes since? I don't think I've ever even told them that story. That's but amazing. That EP has sold so many copies holy since then shit. too. So. Damn. Okay. So you were doing that at FBR. Um, two questions there. While you're doing that, was it, did it feel like, hell yeah, I love this? Or did you kind of like, were you like, I want, this is cool, but I want to do this? It was another one of those drive through moments where like just being in the office, waking up and going into an office, especially me moving 1500 miles from Chicago, like it, I was in it, I was living it. And I very much was like, oh my God, I get to go into a record label every day. It, the first office wasn't as like glamorous. It was a very much like industrial lot, businessy office, whatever, with a screen printing thing in the back because we printed all the band's merch. Oh, yeah. So I got to learn sides of that too, which was cool. But I very much was like, yeah, I'm doing retail here, but I'm in every marketing meeting. I'm also the guy that's clearly comes from like my own label, whereas everyone else came from like marketing in college or something like that. So I had like real like grit experience from it so like every morning when i'd come in and we worked like crazy hours because we loved it and also i didn't know anyone else there so it wasn't like yeah. i was gonna go home at five and like rally up a crew and go skateboard like i literally yeah. would stay there till like eight or nine at night was eric there at that time eric came a couple months later like probably okay. six months into me moving there okay um and but like every morning i'd go sit in john's office for like 20 to 30 minutes at least in the morning check in see what's going on he'd play me a new song or a new cd or whatever he was like digging yeah. so i literally got a crash course from like one of the dudes that like completely exploded the whole scene okay so my other question well I have another. Okay, John Janik. Yeah. Again, yeah. just like the Chicago music scene, Jesus God, going back and thinking about what you were surrounded with, yeah. unreal. Right. But at the time, it wasn't that. It was just people trying their best. Totally. Was there any type of feeling with Janik of like, this guy's going to go and do some crazy shit? Or was it just, oh, this guy's really good at his job and I want to learn from him? Um, more of the, this guy's really good, I want to learn from him at first until it was like consistently like holy shit moments that were beating our previous holy shit moments. Mm. So once there was like enough of those stacked up, we were like expanding a little faster. Yeah. And then the moments really came when we went, when they moved up to New York and I moved back to Chicago because when I first visited that office, I had never known what real major label offices were. And we were in the Atlantic Warner brothers building yeah. and we were just like a little wing of the Atlantic floor. Right. So it was like, corporate Amer like banker financial buildings yeah. so you'd walk in and go what the fuck like this is like i was like so nervous to be there yeah like i did not like the feeling of being there because it was like a strange like oh this was cool when i was like in a weird little office but you guys are on this level and it was like that's the records that were being sold and that's his yeah. consistency at that point i was like oh fuck this guy is like I don't know if I ever thought he would leave Feel by Rama, to be honest, but I also was like, this is going to be a label that impacts people for the rest of time. Like, this will be what Atlantic has been for the last 80 years or however long it had been around at that point. So you could start to put the pieces together and be like, oh, this is crazy. Yeah, it was one moment. Like, again, every time we would put out a new, break a new record, it felt fucking crazy. Like, yeah. it definitely felt like, when does this end? Yeah. Because we've seen a lot of our other, like, you know, other labels, it, the, the big shot up yeah. and then like kind of never fully retaining or regaining that glory. Yeah. So this was a lot of like meticulous, like let's 
keep this going. Yeah. Um, and then obviously or t- tell now where Janik has ended up, not that you guys are super close boys, but if anybody doesn't know, yeah, no, we're still, we're good. And he, he now runs Interscope records. He was Jimmy Iovine who started Interscope records, literally tapped him personally, picked him to bring him to go run Interscope records. So like literally one of the three biggest major labels in the world with like such a crazy story history, like he is running now Yeah. after so. starting Feel by Ramen in his dorm room in Gainesville, Florida. Unreal. Yeah. Okay. So that was one. And then, um, quick shout to Tijuana Flats. There I don't know go. where to fit that T in Flats. there, but just I miss it. I haven't been Flats, since I Tampa. moved in 2004. Wow. Yeah. Dry spell. Um, and then the other thing that I was going to ask, uh, and I know that you've told this story before, so I don't want to like butcher it or like go too deep, but, uh, I just love the story of you with the Panic at the Disco album. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Panic, a fever you can't sweat out. Um, was coming out. And again, to go back to the first Academy is practice, that is kind of what happened with that band too. So that band came kind of out of nowhere where Pete found them off of a fallout boy message board. I think the band posted a, one or two demos on there. Um, and then we flew out and went to their practice space where they literally had two demos, two songs, and they just played them a couple times for us. And it was like one of those moments again, where you're just like, yeah, this is unbelievable. And Brendan's voice and just like sitting with them, they were like, talking about, oh yeah, we want to do like our live show. We want to be like this fucking circus and have like live animals and fire breathers. And then we're like, all right, let's put out like a fucking pop punk record and figure out the world, like relax. And then like a year into their first record cycle, they were doing most of that shit. And we're like, oh, this is what you meant. You had this planned all along. So it's pretty cool to watch the conviction of that band really pull through. Um, so yeah, I was the the retail guy at Field Bar Ramen at the time. And we had just linked up with, or were linking up with Atlantic. But yeah. we weren't fully like partnered yet. But we had met a couple of them because we were. St- I think Feel by was being courted to like come in and be bought by Atlantic at the time or something. Um, and John actually had his honeymoon in Greece or Italy. I forget. I think Italy. And he was over there for like ten days. And right smack dab in the middle of that is the Panic at the Disco release. Yeah. So he basically was like gave us so many like prep talks on like, all right, if this goes crazy, you got to do this, you got to do that, whatever. And I'm sitting there like the GM of the company is there and you know, he's a couple years older than me. This isn't like seasoned veterans. We're all like kind of figuring out, including John, we're figuring out as we went. Um, So the record's getting ready to come out. Um, You could feel a lot of stuff going on. They've been one of five on like two tours at this point. Like you don't know exactly what's happening. This is like MySpace era where like, that's what you had to base off like pre-orders. Like we put out a pre-order, it did well, but not like, oh my God, we have to figure this out. Something had happened right before, and you ship records to a store like three weeks prior. So like your bed's made. By the time first week happens, good luck. Hopefully you sent enough, Mm -hmm. right? Like that was it. So you learn the hard way if you don't. So John's gone. He like not only is he way in the future time-wise, but he's also like not accessible. Like I can talk to him maybe once a day if I'm really lucky. So I think actually his wedding day was on the release day or something to where it was like super off limits, but I was like reaching out and whatever. Uh, So they, so I basically wake up on Panic at the Disco release day and I'm getting calls from, I think their managers. I'm getting calls from our distributor who's not Atlantic. And they're like, hey, it's 10 a.m. on the, I'm just getting in the office. They're like, it's 10 a.m. on, you know, the East Coast and every Best Buy is blown out. And I was just like, well, no, that can't be right. We sent them this many. They're like, they're all gone. They're uh-huh. all sold. And I was like, holy shit. 
And then like an hour later, all the Midwest stores, same conversation. And then the distributor called me back and was like, you have to green light more records right now. And I was like, well, how many do you think? Like, I have no idea. I've never done this math because it's never happened like this. Yeah. And I think we put out like 10 to 15,000 physical copies. And that was a lot. Yeah. Like that doesn't sound that crazy anymore, I guess, but it still kind of does. But it was like, we were fucked. And it was just like, they're like, you need to green light. I want to say it was like 30 to 40,000 right now. Like this second, otherwise we're gonna miss out on getting these in store. This was a Tuesday. That's when records came out on Tuesday. Yeah. Otherwise, you will not have them in stores for the rest of the first week. If we greenlight it now, we could print them and get them in stores by Thursday, maybe Friday. You will literally save this first week. And I like was like, I can't greenlight that because if you figure, even if a record costs two dollars, yeah, they're asking me to spend like almost a hundred thousand dollars at an independent label. Independent, like, it's a lot of money. Like we don't, we didn't spend that. The record I think costs like fifteen thousand dollars to make. Yeah. Like it was nothing. So I was like, I can't spend like this much money. I can't do it. They're like, you literally have to, like everyone's yelling at me, management's calling me, everyone. And then finally I'm like, well, I met this guy, Adam Abramson at Atlantic, which I still work with now, which is amazing. Oh, cool. Um, And I was like, what do I do here? And he's like, he's like, well, what numbers are they showing you? And I sent him an email with the numbers from all the best buys. He's like, green light it right now. I'm like, are you sure? Like, I'm going to get fired over this if it goes wrong. He's like, you will literally save the day. And I was like, okay. So I literally did it. They went on to sell, I don't even remember. I think it was like 13,000 copies first week or something all in tune to like a huge chunk of them being that Friday to Monday that we needed. And like, I remember the next morning, John finally called and was like, what happened? What happened? And I like showed him, he was on email chains, but he wasn't like calling. And he's like, what did you end up doing? I was like, John, I greenlit, I think 50,000 copies. And he's like, great job. Oh and I was my like, God. whoa, okay, great. And then like, <laughs> we got sales numbers through the weekend and he was literally emailing me every morning from Italy being like, holy shit, like all of these numbers are because you did that. Like it was very pat on the back kind of moment where like, again, I could have lost my job if I did that. And it was like, what are you doing? I told you not to, because he prepared us for a lot, but not, not that. That was insane. We No one planned or saw that coming. So that was a huge crash course in like, Holy shit. And luckily I had a guy like Adam with probably at the time, probably five, 10 years experience of doing that full time, which now he's our like all retail digital. He, so he's our Spotify playlist pitch. Like he's like still, that's like a homie. And I always pull him into meetings now. And I'm like, I tell the story. Yeah. It's funny. Cause he doesn't even fully remember it. Cause it's probably another day in his job. Him, he was just like, okay, yeah, that's my pal, Johnny. Sure, I was like, whatever. yeah, Adam saved my life. And I explained the story and he's like, that's crazy. I don't even fully remember that phone call. And I'm like, what the fuck? It's like, yeah, it's so funny. monumental for yeah. you. Damn. And here's a crazy way to take it to the next chapter. Uh, so going from the absolute hero of FBR and like you had a great amount of time there, you like, I mean, like you ended up bringing bands in as well. And Mm -hmm. like you, you were there for how long? I was there for eight years, eight years to the day. So yeah, like you grew, you did great at that company. You had friends, uh, you really grew and like, that was a huge piece. Mm -hmm. So we'll go from telling that crazy story of saving the day with panic (laughs) into you randomly get laid off. Yep. And it was a very weird moment. So John had left the company. And this and is obviously years later. It's yeah, not like this you is, saved the day yeah, and a week later, is, they're like, hey, fuck you. It buddy. was seven years later after that panic moment. Did I miss anything important in no, that? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, of... my first signed band at FBR was truly like, it was Forgive Dirt and, and I brought it in and was like, hey, we should, you should sign this. And John's like, well, you should sign it. And I was like, what do you mean? It was like, that was the transition into like, here, just take a couple small budgets and like do what you did at LLR, but here, because now- And that's becoming, you becoming an a Totally. That's me stepping up at FBR because then he's like, well, 
So Adam Abramson's gonna take over retail now that we're a part of Atlantic. So you should step into more of the AR marketing role with me. And I was like, great. So I was literally the only other AR with him for oh, the I next didn't know that. six and a half years. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, yeah. So we shouldn't glaze that. No, so I mean over. that that was like the moment that like I got the like the level up moment with him where he was like, Well, you should sign it. And then I brought in this Providence and PowerSpace and a couple others. And he's like, Yeah, you sign them. Cool. Like, Shit. So cool. Yeah, went on to sign probably like six or seven things total. Swellers, a Rocket to the Moon, Friday Night Boys, a bunch of other different stuff there. Rocket to the Moon was your fuller first gold plaque? First gold plaque that I had ever signed. Yeah. Like I, they had had, you know, Fall Out Boys and Panics and all this other stuff. Um, but yeah, that was the first one that I physically brought in myself and then went, you know, we had a gold single off that, which was awesome. Unreal. Huge moment. Unreal. Um, How did that feel? Oh, it was crazy. I mean, it didn't go gold until like literally two years ago okay so like so i was gone yeah. from there but it was still like that that single taught me everything about like radio and like that was my first touches of all like other pieces of the industry so that is important it was a huge moment yeah absolutely that band and their like quick trajectory was great for me oh and fuck i guess i should say too you started a clothing company that was actually pretty influential and important into the scene which was snakes and suits. Yeah, snakes and suits. Yeah, and so, that's during that time. As yeah, well. and that was again Tony and I. Yeah, with our designer buddy Eric Ryan, who was yeah. the kid that actually got me into music and skateboarding. Oh my god! In the first place, so the three of us did snakes and suits. I want to say for like four years or something like that. And that's during your time. That's at during Cuba Ramen. Yeah, yeah. And like my full circle moment with that is like this by this time now, like I was finding gym class heroes, totally. and Fallout Boy, and Panic, and mm-hmm. like that's me getting into music, and you know as I'm ordering merch or whatever, I'm getting merch with snakes and suits, suits stickers yes. and stuff like that. And I had no idea it was you, right? right. Like, I just thought it was this cool brand. I saw it on all my favorite bands. Totally. So I have to give you credit there. Like, That's we awesome. Like, yeah, we infiltrated. You did something really special there. Awesome. Yeah, that was a fun time. And again, we like that one we actually made money on a little bit. So that one we got smarter from the LLR days and it put it together. But yeah, we were like infiltrated all the labels and we're like, here's stickers, here's this, here's that. So that, like it would show up in all like, you know, the music fans that bands that were wearing it. It worked. Yeah, it was great. So yeah. that one actually felt really good. So yeah, we did that for a while until all of us like got way too busy. And like, you know, I think at the time Eric was getting married, then I was getting married. And then it just turned into something that we were like, look, this is fun, but what are we doing? This is not our career. It's yeah. a lot of work to do little yeah. pieces of this and not a lot of returns. So. Okay. So but again, made a successful clothing company, like very actually successful. Like it was a very important yeah, big part of the scene. So become an A&R, working directly with Janik as the only other A&R, yeah. saving the day with panic, like in the stride of the best FBR days. Yeah. Like this is a golden, golden era. Yep. Make some of your best friends. Tony stays panicking or yeah. uh, TMing. Right. Um, Academy is yep. and like. I'm sure you guys are close. You're in an Academy Absolutely. is song, which I love. Yep. Which song is it? Down and out. Yes. God damn. That's good. <laughs> Listen to that song listeners. <laughs> it's a good song. Um, so now take me to the point of eight years to the day completely. Yeah. It was a weird moment. So my now wife was living with me at the time and we, I remember getting the phone call and I, I had an actual, an engagement ring in the closet. She didn't know about, we were literally signing sheets to like, put in offers on condos and all this shit. And I get a call one morning that was just like, 
you know, to go back, John had left six months prior to go take over Interscope. Which you it, never expected. Yeah, so that was and... weird. But then I became closer with the Atlantic staff because now there was no head of Fuel by Ramen. I was just an A&R guy on kind of an island that was like, okay, I'll still do my bands, but I'll get more in tune with the Atlantic A&R staff. Did you meet Mike then? Uh, Mike was the head of radio when A Rocket to the Moon. Whoa, yeah. cool. So we had known each other like a little bit of like a couple month campaign. Oh, tell the listeners who Mike is. Mike Easterlin, who now, who over the last like, I guess five years was the head president of Fuel by Ramen and Roadrunner, which now is the co-president of the Electro Music Group with Greg Nadell as of six months ago in October. Amazing. So yeah, a lot of full circle moments, but again, a good thing to like keep you know, friends and good relationships going and, and always do the right thing. Because like, if I was a dickhead, you know, getting, we'll get to the part going back to feel our ramen, that conversation would have been pretty short and not happen. So yeah. So, okay. So, um, yeah. So I get that call where it's like straight up, like I was trying to get myself infiltrated into Atlantic. So there was a moment, there was a Sunday night where, uh, the CEO of Warner music, Lior Cohen up and left. No surprised everyone. He just, was gone from the company. So in a corporation that big, what I'm told at least, this is all literally what I've been told and know nothing else, is there's a board of directors that was like, okay, they panic. for they. The first thing they do when something like that, like big figurehead of the president of the president or whatever, they panic and they start layoffs because they want to start to like take money off the books instead of like hemorrhaging money while they figure out who's going to take over. So... Apparently it was like a list of people and they literally just started grabbing, you know, a couple names and were like, these got to go, these got to go, whatever. And I was one of those casualties, even though like everyone, it was told to um, the head of A&R at Atlantic at the time. And he was like, no, like, you know, this dude, one, I probably didn't even make close to what a lot of people were making because I lived at home in Chicago. I didn't need a New York salary. I was just having fun and whatever. And people fought for me to stay. And then it inevitably didn't work because the board was like you do it or we're doing it like kind of ultimatum so that happened um it was in really fucked up moment and it was just like whoa this ride's over what year uh 2012 october 1st 2012 damn yeah so that was a weird moment and again like i'm having this panic in my head like i have an engagement ring we're about to buy a condo we're doing all this real life shit yeah and i literally walk upstairs um and she was working from her laptop from home that day and I literally walked up and was just like, I just got let go. And she was just like, obviously didn't believe me because I was on the phone working the prior hour yeah. or two already. And like killing it. Like yeah, it was, was fine. Everything was good. Yeah. Like there was no weirdness. And then I had to like explain it. And it was like a moment where like for like two hours, I sat there like not knowing what just hit me. And I was like calling Janik, who was already at Interscope. I called Joe Kalitri, who was the GM. I called Eric. I called all these other people at the company. And no one had ever heard of it. No one ever knew about it because it was so sudden. Right. And it was above everyone's heads. It was just like pointed down on. So like reassuring to know that at least everyone wasn't in cahoots. But yeah. Still you're it wasn't performance no based job. or anything like that, which actually was fine at the time. Didn't matter to me. But looking back, it's like, okay, cool. So I did the right thing. I gave everyone kind of a note saying like, thanks for everything I learned from you, whatever. Yeah. Um, and by the end of that day, I started self-titled management. Holy I, shit. Yeah. What? Like literally within three hours, I had like four clients, five clients. Where I was like, okay, boohoo, let's figure it out. I had good severance because I had worked there for eight years. Yeah. So I was like, I have a runway. What most people do is sit on their ass during their runway and do nothing and wait to find another job when your severance runs out. I was like, well, fuck it. 
it's going to take me a while to get this company to be profitable. So why don't I start now? Wow. Called all my friends because I had been I had been kind of helping Casey Bates at the time of producer just because we'd been making records together. So I'd kick him a record and you know whatever. We were just friends about it. And then I was like, well, there's a bunch of other producers I worked with for the last eight years at Field or even prior because I made records at LLR with people. That I was like, maybe I'll call all them. None of them have managers. So I did. And every time my pitch was just so simple where it was like, I want to do everything for you, except you're, you're in the studio making records. I do everything else. I find work. I schedule work. I negotiate. I make sure your deals are done. I'm, I do all that. I'm bad cop on every regard. Every single one of them ended the phone call with like, that sounds fucking great. Let's do it. And I had known all these people. It wasn't cold calls. Mm-hmm. I had made a record or been friends or Rob Freeman, who was in Hidden in Plain View on LLR. Like I still manage to this day. It's like seven years later. Holy so it's shit. like all of these people I had good relationships with. And I was like, let me do this for you. And like, I literally strung together months where I was like making like $300, but I was like, so struggles and whatever. And then I finally would get like breakthrough and be like, okay, man, now I made 1200 this month. Now I can pay my rent yeah. and this and that. Like, so I was just trying to build a little bit more runway from the severance. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was kind of a really insane transition to just be like, you're out go figure out the rest of your life. How did you, that's fucking crazy. Of course that's crazy. It was nuts, yeah. But like the the piece, because we've talked about it a bit, but like I didn't know it was the same day. I didn't realize it was the same day. Yeah. How the fuck did you come to that so quickly? How did you sit because, there and have like so, sad hours for fucking two hours well, yeah, and then like, be good? I think the reason was because I was, I was having conversations with Casey for months prior because he was kind of like trying to get me to manage him and I was just like, I don't want to do that. Okay. Like, so it was kind of like in my brain. And then I was also managing William Beckett cause he had broke off and doing a solo project. So oh. I was helping him. So I was kind of like, man, I'm already kind of managing or like I was managing him. And then I kind of with my buddy, Josh Terry. Um, and, and then like, I was like, man, I don't know if I want art. I don't want to do artist stuff, but like, I really like this idea with Casey. So I called him first, talked through it. And then I was like, well, Hey, why don't I just do this with like, a couple of the other guys I know don't have representation or had it and don't now or whatever reasons. Um, so yeah, like I literally think I called five people and got five clients like that day. And I remember it, it was like, I got the call at like 10 AM my time in Chicago. And by like four o'clock, I had five people on a roster. And then, and then I let myself like breathe where I just went to, my buddy was having a fire at his house and I just got fucking hammered and we like wallowed in it. And it was just like, I don't know what's happening in my life anymore. Like that moment where I was like, but I I wanted to set up the management stuff before I let myself become pity party. Okay. So you're a human. Yeah. Like I had to, you had your moment, but but I also probably looked like a fucking zombie walking up to tell Nicole to go, Hey, I just got laid off. And she's like, what? And like, again, we just put out offers on condos, like to the point of when we got one, I didn't have an income. So my brother had to sign, uh, with, Nicole to get our condo. So like he came through and saved the day and was like, he put his salary and his company history on the line for us to be able to purchase the condo because I no longer had like steady income. Coming back to that like very solid family you have. It was great. That's awesome. Yeah, he's always done that. He start he helped he gave me a he gave us the loan to start um snakes and suits too. He gave us 10 grand. Oh my God. Then when we sold everything off, we paid him everything back. Shouts to Joe. Yeah. What a guy. Mm Mm-hmm. So self-titled management is born. Mm-hmm. You manage producers. This is starting in 2012. Yep, October 1st. You're still in Chicago? Um, yes. You're building, like you have months where it's not great, but yep. like you're making some amount of money. You mm-hmm. have found some kind of purpose or thing to keep going yep. with. 
And then this is where we meet. Yep. And this is like where it goes crazy full circle. Yeah, true. So I forgot neither of us worked there when we met, right? Correct. Got it. That's correct. funny. I never thought about that. Yeah. So, well, I guess kind of. I was like up and coming Royal Division manager. So I was managing. Right. You were like in the, in the system. Yeah. So I'm managing band from Chicago. You are producer manager. The fucking best human in the world, Dan Sanshaw, is connecting me (laughs) and like getting me started off of like, cool, now you're not on the road. What are you going to do sort of thing? Right. I'm managing this pop punk band out of Chicago and uh, I needed producers. I needed, I needed By the way, named after a Fall Out Boy song. Seven Minutes in Heaven. Yeah. So Dan Sanshaw is like, well, you should know Johnny Minardi. Uh, He manages a bunch of producers. He's out in Chicago. He's really in touch with all this. He's a great dude. Yeah. So that's Which is so funny because I didn't even really know Dan all that well. We were just mutual friends. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't, wow. So that's. Or was I already working there? No. Yeah. No. Okay. Because, yeah, I didn't realize that because Dan was, he, I mean, he had nothing but great things to say about you. Yeah. We just and, had a lot of friends like Casey and a bunch yeah. of other bands, Gatsby's American Dream. And you were like, because he gave me like a couple people and you were like the one that came through. And I went went back to him and I was like, dude, this guy, Johnny's awesome, blah, blah, blah. So fast forward a little yeah. bit. You helped me with producers. And that I would assume is what, what did we did. even put in with him? Uh, it was David. Oh, yeah. David Newton. Yeah. David That's Newton. Right. Got yeah. it. Which I didn't even manage. You were just like a homie and local band. That so was much great. homie shit going yeah. on. But yeah, so that fast forward, I end up becoming more established with Equal Vision. I end up working there. Yeah. Um, you worked there before me, right? I did. So that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So your timelines, right? Yeah. So I knew you as just cool producer guy that like came through with dope people. And Dan comes to me one day and he's like, yeah, like remember Johnny, I think he's going to come into the label. Yeah. And I was like, my favorite dude, Johnny, the guy that came through with, with producers, <laughs> That's like awesome. that guy. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that guy. And I was yeah. like, no fucking way. Yeah. So That's I was funny. all gassed up already. Um, so tell me your side of coming to equal vision. Yeah. So my wife and I, or I guess my fiance at the time were now in, uh, the condo said Mm -hmm. condo. Um, and I was running self-titled and we had just gotten married. Yeah. We got married like six months after we got the condo. Um, and then we, uh, she, she was pregnant with our daughter and, she was like four months pregnant and I kind of had another one of those moments where I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you're about to have a child and you're like betting on like hopefully self-titled one consistently bringing in money, but also like never ending or getting slow or like, you know, it's just one of those moments where I was like, what are you doing? Um, so I like randomly one night woke up in like a sweat and was like, I know I have to start a label. Like I want to start a label again. Like I know I'm watching all these other like labels grow. And I was like, I was I start a label before some of those labels that now blow up. Like I could do it now. I have enough knowledge. Let's do it. So I'm like, well, the problem is, is I need like kind of income and I don't want to use my credit cards again and do LLR all over again. And I also kind of need insurance because I don't know if she had, she had insurance, but it wasn't like full family coverage or something like that. So I was like, well, fuck, I need to figure out a salary and insurance and someone to pay for my label. So like, that's not a good checklist to need. So I was like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to call Dan. And again, this is why I say, like, I didn't know him that well. This call that I made to him was so out of the blue. And I just was like, yo, I'm going to start a label. I want it to go through Equal Vision because I know nothing but great things. All of my friends that have been on it or near it speak so highly of you and how you do business. I want to work with you on it. Yeah. 
And he was just kind of like what any normal person. He's like, oh, interesting. Okay. Can I think about it? And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. And I was like, but also I'm going to need to like a salary and like funding and like insurance. And I didn't have that clout whatsoever. This was me like taking, shooting my shot. Yeah. I was just like, fuck it. What's the worst he could say? No. And then I do it myself or figure out another lane. So he takes like a week, week and a half, which was excruciating. Like that was oh, a long period God. of time. And I was like waiting and waiting, which by the way, there's a small piece of that that I don't even know if you ever knew. I was talking with Marky from Glamour Kills for like nine months about starting Glamour Kills Records. So uh-huh. I went through business plan after business plan, lists of bands, all of these things that I was already set up to make the call to Dan. So I, I leaned on some of these plans of like, here's what I'm going to do for my label. I was going to sign these bands to a previous label. It didn't pan out right, um, but I'm ready to go. Like right now, I've never cashed in favors with some of these artists. Like I'm going to like go for it. Yeah. So he called, when he finally does call me back in a week and a half or so, he says, so I thought about it a lot and the label idea, unfortunately, is just a no-go. Like that's just a lot to take on. And like, we have a lot of sub-labels. At the time they had like, Oh, we had a minute where we had like yeah. we had more sub labels than we did bands. Yeah, and it was just strange. So he's like, we just have a lot of those. But like, what I want to bring up is we have the same taste in music. No one's ever told me anything different. Everyone speaks so highly of you and all this stuff. That why don't you just sign bands to Equal Vision and come work here? And I was kind of like, I literally had not thought of that. I was like, oh fuck. Uh-huh. Yeah, I love Equal Vision. Like I literally grew up on Equal Vision bands, all these records, everything. So why don't I just do that? And then like we worked it out and over the next couple of days, he's like, this is what it would look like. This is, you know, you could work from home in Chicago, just come out here when we need you, whatever. And I was like, well, the eventual plan is for me to be in LA and whatever. So he's like, great, we're going to open up an office. Francesca's out there. There might be a few others out there eventually. So we have this management company, Royal Division, which you worked for. So he's like, we're going to have an office. So if that's the eventual plan, you could stay in Chicago. You don't have to move to Albany, yeah. which for me was a no-go. I would have been a non-starter, much like Tampa and then New York was, and et cetera. So um, that's how I met Dan, just a crazy that's person phone call. Unreal. Yeah. So then that takes us, I want to say that's 2014. That is probably, yeah, around there, because someone was born in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. So sometime 2014. 14 middle or end yeah so our full circle moment i feel like we i just knew you as producer guy and i knew that it was cool and i was really excited about you coming in but we hadn't spent that much time together and i remember like we'd have like our company message chat like i remember you starting and i was in florida you're in chicago yeah some of them are in new york francesca's in california so like i'm just excited like i'm like oh we got the whole squad we're you know like all around the country and you know like we would talk all that um, but then you and I both moved to California within a couple months. Similar times, yeah. So we end up getting the Equal Vision office in California. Right. You end up moving the whole family out here, which yeah. is much crazy. I yeah. moved, I filled a Civic and moved out <laughs> and here. And you helped me move in, though, so that was nice. Yeah. And then you saw, you're like, oh, yeah, you guys got a lot of shit. I'm like, yeah, there's... Yeah, you're a whole family. A child and, yeah. yeah, another person. It was a lot. It was definitely, like, overwhelming for sure. Yeah. So... We then, like, there's this really cool magical time of uh, Equal Vision office uh, in California. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where we got close just because, like, we uh, that was kind of where I'm like, oh, like, you're kind of on this Gary V vibe. Like, whatever you call that, like, that (laughs) entrepreneurial. Whatever it is. Yeah, I always spoke to that. Whatever that, like, motivational business grind. Like, I felt like you and I clicked there. Right. 
you know, you were signing bands. I was doing social media for the label, trying to make my own as a manager. Um, and it was like a really special time. We had Francesca, Francesca yeah. Caldera, who's yep. been an A&R there forever. Yep. Such a great piece. Like we had a really awesome team there. Um, and you had signed, I don't want to tell too much of your story, but I want to get to nothing nowhere. Cause that shit's yeah, fucking great. crazy. Yeah. But, uh, what bands had you signed before nothing nowhere? Um, come and rest. Yep. Um, sleep on it. Yep. You worked some. on a lot of others, though, yeah. Because you got assigned a lot. Yeah, it was kind yeah. of one of those things where, like, if Dan was, Dan or Francesco was doing something, if Dan was kind of bogged down, I would step in and help on some stuff. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. crazy. It was like I was helping on Northern Faces yeah. for a minute and a few other pieces. Actually, yeah. So it wasn't even like you had signed a ton. It was no, more it was, like you were getting integrated. Yeah, but then it gets you get sent nothing nowhere, right? Yeah, or I saw. I literally think I saw like someone tweet about it it was okay. really strange like someone in on my timeline which i don't even know yeah who at this point which i wish because that's yeah. a pivotal piece and i really don't um and then i w- i clicked on it and listened to i thought i think i saw a photo which was intriguing to me and then i followed just kind of like the rabbit hole of clicks where i ended up at synergy artist management because mm. he was managed by avange and zach got it and i was like wait a second i know avange and zach really well i'm just gonna hit him up so i yeah. asked him like what's the deal with this nothing nowhere and i think they sent me nothing unreleased but they were just like oh it's this blah 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 and i was just kind of like oh shit this is this is crazy. And I like spent the entire night that the same day on YouTube because he had a bunch of videos popping on like, um, what are the, what are those channels? That oh, was that was like a, a starry. starry, a lot of the starry like, stuff. Yeah. That was even before. Cause like then came a bunch of other channels like yeah. a starry, but I feel like a starry, a starry was yeah. first. And I was late to that. I like, I didn't know what a starry was, but what I did find is I went down the rabbit hole and listened to his stuff so much that night. And I love, I was like literally blown away and like shocked at how great this kid that's probably played like two shows. And, but what I was finding the good comparison that really made light bulbs <laughs> go off is what I would hear on the, like a starry would just keep playing other Astari videos. And mm-hmm. I, like, when it wasn't a Nothing Nowhere song, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, mm-hmm. it just, by comparison, was so head and shoulders better. Yeah. And, I and I almost didn't need that comparison, but that was like the final straw where I was like, this shit's unbelievable. Like, yeah. I felt so blown away by it. Um, so there was a moment where like, I was trying to figure out equal vision for it and all this stuff. And I know a lot of labels were going after it and whatever. And at this time, like probably two, three months prior, Pete Wentz and I re- had reconnected um after you know he got so busy with the band and whatever and we had always been really close but not like on top of each other signing artists since the cadence and feel by ramen had not been like a thing yeah. and again i'm at equal vision we're not why would we sign a band together right so yeah. um he had reached out he'd like randomly called me one day from tour and was just like hey if you ever find a band that you just love that you feel like i can help with like we should do you know another we should work together on some stuff. I was like, that's interesting. You could do whatever you want. He's like, I'm in no exclusive deals. Like if you find something and you want to take the equal vision, like I'm, I'm game. So I was like, great. So this happened and I knew labels were going crazy at it. So I'm like, man, this is going to get really out of hand. Like I need to like show, I need to like find an X factor. And I was like, wait a second, Peter just call me. So I sent it to him and I was like, Hey, I'm going to send you something, but like call me right when you have a real feeling about what it is. 20 minutes later, he calls me. He's like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, right? I'm like, it sounds like Drake meets brand new, which makes no sense until you hear it. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if people are going to like that or what, but I love it. He's like, I fucking love this. So I was like, all right, 
can we work out a deal together and whatever? And he's like, absolutely. So then he's like, you know, again, all these labels are going out. I'm like, you have to call him. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, just call Joe. So he literally calls Joe. And I feel like this, Joe will tell the story of the first phone call too, that he like at first didn't believe it was him or something. Like it was a very <laughs> it's, funny. It's like you calling your dad, be like, pretend to be Pete Wentz. Hey, this yeah, is uh, totally like your your hand over your mouth. Is <laughs> Pete Wentz from Fallout yeah. Boy. And it was just like a moment where it was like so funny. And then like I called Joe later that day and I was like, well, how did that go? And he's like, what the fuck? And like, it was just really cool moments to watch, you know. So we found a way to make it all work. And that was kind of how that came to be. And that's when my eyes kind of opened up to a lot of shit like that and you know in the meantime we had struck a deal also with feel by ramen um being a part of the nothing nowhere story too shortly after and um at that time was just kind of crazy because then it kind of led to the next steps of me going back where we had been working on nothing nowhere me as equal vision pete as dcd2 and then mike easterlin as feel by ramen the three of us all very cohesively together where we were finding the right steps of everything and then Basically, when I we made the first record, we put it out on Equal Vision, which yeah. was the plan. Yeah. And then the next one was going to go on to Fuel Bar Ramen. So um, in the process of making that record, I had been working just so closely with Mike. And Mike was in town in L.A. And I kind of sat with him and was like, dude, it's so fun working with you. He's like, he's like, it's crazy, like the way you handle the business and like the artist just loves you and trusts you. And like, he's just like, it's just a really good feeling to know that like, you're out there just accomplishing it and just bringing me in when you needed it. And I'm like, great. I'm like, and I think I said something super blunt, like, well, who handles that for all the rest of your artists? And he was just like, well, kind of whoever signs it, but there's not like a specific person. I'm like, well, FBR is such an important culture and like all of this other stuff. And it kind of was a, you know, a little bit of like a, like kind of taken aback with each other and kind of like, we, I think we both kind of were at this, thing where we're like wait what like you almost didn't realize that conversation was going to happen you're just like catching up as yeah. boys and like you're just like wait a minute like you were ready for a different answer yeah or i just wanted to like, talk about nothing yeah. or like <laughs> yeah. what's going on and we both kind of like looked at each other and we're like did we just become best friends it was like that thing oh for God. real and then i was and then i think i said something where he was just like i feel like i had to break the ice because it almost got awkward and and i said something like well fuck let's do more bands together and i think then he was just like in my head, I don't even know what that meant. I didn't know if that meant like me at Equal Vision and we just yeah, worked you're with like, you'll buy more. Some lateral stuff. Yeah, this it was kind of like, well, let's do more bands together. And he was kind of like, wait, would you ever come back? And I was like, what? I never wanted to leave in the first place. And he was kind of like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, what are we doing now? Like, it was so different yeah. from what I entered. I went to actually remember it was at the floor played a CD release show um, at like, whatever that like trap door house is where you go out the back and they play on the back porch. Oh, uh, dirty laundry. Yeah. No dirty, Something, no vacancy. No vacancy. Yes. they're yeah. yeah. So it was there and we were having a drink at the bar and all this conversation was happening. I was like, Holy shit. And I was like, so then he's like, let me think about this for a minute. And then like the next afternoon called and was like, Hey, like I ran it back up to the head of a and of Atlantic, which is the guy that at inevitably had to call me to fire me. And he <laughs> loves the idea. And Dave Rath, the roadrunner <laughs> loves the idea. Like, you should come back. And I was like, okay. And it was like that simple yeah. of like an accidental, like not accidental because a lot led up to it, whether like me working with him on a rocket to the moon. So we kind of got to know each other and then working nothing nowhere with no preconceived, like, where is this going to go together? Like no, we were just, just having fun, dude. Yeah. And like, I mean, I was there firsthand at equal vision. Like, yeah, 
I mean, I could talk about how much that changed my career path of just how excited I was, but like, absolutely. We were just excited about nothing nowhere. There was totally. nothing else. It was just, this is fucking sick. How do we get this out to as many people as possible? Totally. So when that naturally led to me kind of getting closer to Mike with him now being the president of Field by Ramen and Roadrunner, it was like this very natural step where then he was like, well, would you come back if we could figure it out? And I was like, I mean fucking love equal vision but also it's like i was stuck in this really hard spot because dan was a homie yeah like super homie got me out of a really weird time and then you know francesca and you and the team were all just like yeah we were hitting a stride too we i feel like we thing. were having a good, good yeah good thing and it just an opportunity like that when it came along i i like kind of saw it for what it was and i like went home and had real serious talks with nicole about it and be like that i don't know like what it looks like financially or anything but like it just feels like it's crazy to be able to sign a band and like literally the next day could go to radio if it really needed to, right? Yeah. Like there was a different system and history and piece of it. Again, not comparing it directly to Equal Vision, but like because I had indeed a major almost totally like di- just, exactly yeah. different. Um, so I was just like, man, I'm I, I, how old was I at the time? Thirty three, and I was just like, I feel like if not now, when would I ever take a real another shot Holy fuck. at that kind of level? And it was like, well, and I think Nicole kind of just like felt it with me. was like, you should try it if you really think. So I, I had obviously more in-depth conversations with the FBR side to make sure it was going to be what I thought it was going to be. And I was just like, you know, when you look at something and you're trying to find the red flag or like the reason to be stay comfortable, Yeah, there was none. You're and everything like- was just like, man, this is like that high pressure, accountable, like, shoot for the star position that like people would kill to have and it's not even a it didn't exist yeah they weren't like trying he just like you would come back you know it's like this moment of like well i think i just got a job that didn't exist but it's my old job sort of and it's fucked up so it's just a really natural like organic okay let's do that yeah and like three three four weeks later we were finally like to a position of like let's do it and then i had to make like the fucking worst phone calls of my life to all the homies at evr and the bands and everyone and it was just like i have to do it i have to be a little bit selfish right now for my family i was so sad it was i was so sad but i also like quickly realized i was like well fuck we still like live in the same area like we'll still get to hang out totally and it was like one of those things of like i mean only speaking on my end but like i think everybody there was like sad but stoked yeah. we're like well, that's fucking awesome yeah. you can't say no and i've remained close with literally every person that i worked with including yeah. like i was texting dan this morning and like we talk about bullshit so it's like it's yeah. very we're still all friends Ain't outside of changed. a job like, yeah yeah it's just i don't do daily exactly things together that's all so god because there's still other pieces i want to talk about but you end up going to fueled by ramen and the Field by Ramen office hadn't even been, because now you guys have this beautiful space in downtown yep. where not only uh, Field by Ramen is there, it's you have like your whole Electra corner. group, yeah. But then you have all of Warner there. You yeah, have, all of Warner Brothers, all of Atlantic, all of Warner Chapel, and then ADA, the distribution company. Unreal. Yeah. But the one piece that I, I just love this because it shows how real, what like what could be considered so glamorous. So you get this crazy fucking title and this crazy job. But like there was a minute where you're back, like you guys had like temp, like you had an office in Burbank, yeah. but it was filled. It was like very strange. It wasn't yeah. quite right. Whatever. Setup wasn't right for Fuel by Ramen. It was, and also I lived two hours away. So right. it was kind of like, I guess I could go. But when I go, 
I don't really see or talk to anyone on a daily. So why am I spending four hours commuting to and from yeah. to like basically be at home anyways? So yeah, like, so you have this amount of time uh, over a year where you have this awesome title and you're getting grooved in, but you're literally back home, like working from your home. Just working from my bedroom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, I just think that that piece, like, yeah. I think that that just says a lot about like you saw the promise in it and you saw what it represented and you right. just like made it work. And totally. again, that's awesome. Yeah. I worked from my bedroom, by the way, for 13 years outside of the like the window of equal vision going up three times a week for a year or nine months or something. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. It's like this glamorous side world. and like then the reality of, yeah, I was working from my bedroom. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, so, okay. With Fueled By, you... Tell me the artists that you've signed now. So consider nothing nowhere still. in that whole group. Yeah, um, Fever three 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 on Roadrunner. Yep, Grandson on FBR. Um, I'm trying to think of. I don't think anything else has been announced. Bancanino oh, on Electra. Yep. Now, which okay. will be announced tomorrow. Oh tonight, fuck yeah! In like four hours. So, so yeah, by cool. the time this is out. Um, yeah. Okay. Am I so, forgetting? What am I forgetting here? Uh, I don't think, because I wanted to talk about Fever 333 specifically. Yeah. Grandson. If we're forgetting something, I think we're both going to feel terrible, but I don't think we're yeah. forgetting. I mean, you, well, because there's I other stuff. No, because you're, a, you're working on other stuff. Yeah, I'm that's saying, what I'm trying to say. Is like I don't want to get you into that corner. I'm saying your specific signs. Yes. No, no, yeah, of course. I have yeah. a roster of bands that are not mine. Yeah, I want your signs. Um, yeah. yeah, I would say those... Fredo Disco, but that's with Zach and Avange on public consumption. Right. Um, yeah, that's that yeah. actually is it. Okay, good. That's that's the right ones. So again, because there's more that I want to talk on, and I don't want to get too stuck. But the we we were very close friends even through you leaving Equal Vision. Mm-hmm. Fever three 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 comes up very shortly after. Yeah, like you go week over one there. or two. And this feels similar to your panic actually story. pre-starting, but yeah, holy shit, yeah. yeah. You had another moment. You get this crazy fucking job where you yeah. don't even know the potential of what it becomes. Right. You find the band mm-hmm. and you have to convince your entire label, you as the new guy, mm-hmm. that they need to go and like... Like right now, have to have to have it. Otherwise, it goes somewhere else. So yeah. yeah. How was that? Yeah, that was crazy. So they played their first show July 4th. Yeah. Um, so I'd seen a lot of stuff. I couldn't go to that cause I had family in town for July 4th. Um, but I'd been a huge Jason Alon Butler fan from let live and just yeah. side project stuff and a bunch of different shit. Never knew, never known him, never did anything. Um, t- my start date was actually July 17th, but I saw videos from July 4th, probably just through social media. And then I knew John Feldman was attached. So I basically reached out to him yeah. a day or two after and was like, yo, how was that show? And he was just like fucking epic. I'd known him through various FBR stuff, but never like close friends or anything. Yep. And I was like, how do I hear music? How much is recorded? And he's like, dude, we have like over 10 songs, like come through whenever. And I was like, okay. So in me, I, I grew up a Goldfinger fan and like his band. And then I also like, monumental records like the used and story of the year like he had his hand in a lot of records that i was a huge fan of growing up so it kind of shaped a lot so even him being like yo just come to the studio like that was a weird moment it was like oh okay cool yeah so i did and i show up and he literally the first question goes so what's your relationship with jason and i go none and he's like oh so i feel like he almost thought that i knew jason and jason kind of told me to hit him up yeah and it didn't i just naturally reached out yeah and 
he was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, so tell me what's the scoop, you know? And I gave him a little history and I gave him like Roadrunner and, you know, Atlantic and all this other stuff because we were with Atlantic at the time. And he played me probably probably all 10 songs because I didn't want to leave because it was just like, he. the first song he played me was Burn It, and I remember. And I was blown away. I was like, holy shit, this is Rage Against Machine, but new and like very poignant lyrics and what the fuck. And then he showed me a clip of them rehearsing in his live room at his studio. Yeah. Like a practice. And he, they were like losing their classic Jason stuff. If you look on YouTube, there's like top 10 Jason live video reels. Like it's just, he's just a legend in that regard. So it was everything like that. And I stopped after like an hour and a half. Cause John had to start a session. And I was like, where is Jason right now? And he's like, uh, he's working. He works at this like watch store in Venice. And we're, John's in Calabasas. I live two hours south in Newport. Jason's somewhere in the middle along the coast. And I said, well, I don't know him, but can you tell, give me his number and tell him I'm going to call him? And he's like, okay. So he does. I call Jason, leave a message because he's working. He doesn't even have his phone on him. And I said, hey, I'm heading to Venice right now because John said you're working. Do you have a lunch break today? Do you have anything? And like 20 minutes later, he called me back and was like, hey, dude, like just got off with John. He told me everything. I don't have a lunch break for another hour, hour and a half, but like, I would love to meet. I was like, great, I'll come to your work. I'll be outside. Let me know when you're ready. Like just stalker shit. But I just loved it. And, I, and so we went and we walked to a restaurant right there, like a couple doors down. Um, again, we had never met. Yeah. Like he definitely didn't know what I looked like or anything. I just walked into the watch shop, was like, hi, I'm Johnny. And he's just like, oh, what's up, dude? Like he was embraced, whatever. Went to lunch at a place called Lemonade right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And we sat there and we talked. I think he had like, 45 minutes and i think we stayed for like an hour hour and a half where he like checked in with whoever it was like hey cover for me like i'm in the middle of something or i don't remember exactly what it was um and we just connected over and over and i told him the feeling of me being 15 seeing rage against the machine and like feeling yeah. a part of something and learning how to question everything and never take everything for granted and whatever and like but i fully admitted like i don't understand like where you come from though like your stories are crazier and like yeah. whatever so we just, I listened a lot of what he was trying to accomplish and everything. And we got to a point where I had just seen the Defiant Ones documentary and yes. I brought it up. Our Bible. And I brought it up and I was just like, look, dude, there's like something that awoke in me during that thing that I was like, you fell in my lap at the exact time of me getting this position to do this and this and this. And I fully think that like I can help you. And I think that whatever you're telling me your vision is, I will stay out of the way. I will find a way to make it work. And I will just do what I can to guide it and give you my feedback when you ask for it, whatever. But I'm here to help. And he just, we connected. Like it was a very deep level immediately to where like he called me later when he got off work and was like, hey man, I've been thinking about it the rest of the day. Like, how do we do this? I have voicemails on my phone right now saved from that day and beyond of him like literally saying like, I fuck with you. I want to do this with you. Like, figure out a way because it took a little bit because I was not even started yet one and two it was just such a large project to come in swinging yeah immediately and that was the piece that I wanted to touch on is like it again it's such a crazy uh character trait to show like in such a positive way of you of like dude you just got this job like you could have been comfortable you could have just been quietly like what are you guys working on like let me help here here and here and you're like yo i know i just started yeah but here's this i'm gonna need you to get real excited i have every other label going for it we're gonna need to come in competitive like now and we're gonna need to come in right the fuck now i I still have the email that i sent to mike and dave and it's awesome unreal commitment because 
again, like that is a point where it's like that, like that's either like the, you're the hero or like maybe you're about to get fired. Yeah. Or they're like, dude, get out of here. This isn't what you signed up for. Yeah. So like, I just think that that's so crazy that after all of that learning and like going from LLR to FBR to then self-titled to equal vision, it's like you have a family now and all this. And you knew, I remember talking to you about how much was on the line and you were still so passionate and you felt something in that music. And that comes back back to the Johnny that you tell me about in the very beginning that was just like excited about music and like all the other factors just went away and you're like, well, we have to. And I mean, I was taught again, really early on by Richard and Stephanie that during the LLR days, like only sign shit you love, because even if it doesn't succeed, at least you loved it and you gave it a shot versus if you play numbers games and sign stuff you don't like, but it's doing well. And then it falls off the face of the earth then you look like an asshole. Like, so at my point, when I brought them in, I was like, you know, staying up, I was having like restless nights because I'm like, I have to do this. Like I have to like shoot it now, otherwise it's not gonna happen. And I very much was like, if I don't go and, and do this, what if I don't sign shit I love, I'd rather get yelled at for signing shit I love yeah. and having it fail than to sign five successful things that like I don't give a shit about. And yeah. maybe that's easy to say, but I've, I, I went for it. I said, fuck it. I want to only work with stuff I love. Yeah. So anytime I ever put my name on something, it's for a real reason. And that's something that I think could, the, that conviction, when I sat down and presented it for everyone, I think they're like, well, fuck. Yeah. You know, like, I think it was a real moment where yeah. they were like, okay, let's do it. Let's and all get behind it. I also don't want to discredit that for any of your other artists. Cause I feel like every artist no, totally. I've talked to you about, there's partly there's a story like that. that. Yeah. Uh, but I just love like the, the timing of the fever one shows the person that you are in my eyes yeah. so well that that's just such a great example that I wanted to talk Yeah. Just about. come in swinging was a lot where yeah. the building was like, just sit down for a second. Let's Dude. let's. And it wasn't that they were saying no to it. They were just saying like, I mean, this is a a deal that's happening immediately. Like, you don't even know our system yet fully. Like, and I was like, it, we'll figure it out. But they didn't know you. They didn't know what you were down to do. And I was, yeah, I was ready well. for it. And that's why yeah. I said, like, I mean, it's the whole, there's an age old, like, you're, if you're willing to fall on the sword for it, it's like a very typical A&R term where it was like, yes, sure. Yeah. Like, I'll go down swinging with bands I love. And yeah. again, if none of them ever panned out and I got let go, touche, great. Yeah. I shot it. Let's go. Yeah. So that is crazy. And, um, now God, I I could talk to you for so, so long (laughs) about all of this, but, um, to progress the fueled by ramen story. So the other cool piece was electro music group got brought back together. You didn't have any idea that that was going to be a thing when you started. Yeah. And now you're a pretty, uh, integral or integral in other episodes i say integral and i actually haven't checked if it's integral or integral nice, so i'm gonna need some comments from somebody but just roll with it yeah. you're a pretty big piece of that now as well sure i mean it this the anr staff has definitely gotten smaller from being at atlantic and having 30 plus and now it's like five you know yeah. so i think everyone's job and especially with coming from the atlantic system into electro music group um it was kind of like, this is a jumping off thing. We all are going in together with this new venture and very much, you know, everyone's got to step up their shit in a way where it was like, this is a chance for everyone to grow and to grow quickly because you are now no longer one of 30, you're one of five. And, you know, there's like pieces of that that kind of like, again, when talking to Mike about coming back and all this, it was like pretty quickly shown that, you're going to be a part of this. You're not just going to like kind of sign a band here and hope it worked. Like you're going to like 
like when I first got there, he brought me bands on the label that were like, hey, this needs help. Go. Yeah. You're, you're doing this now. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like a one OK Rock was in the middle of writing the record. And I was like, great. I don't know a ton about one OK Rock, but I just immersed myself in it, went and helped them and met with them and went met with their managers and like figured out the process to get a record together. Yeah. So it was very, you know, there was a lot of accountability immediately. And then when Electra happened, it was like quadrupled. It was yeah. just like, okay, now yeah. you have to like really step up and go even crazier than, yeah. you know, again, jumping from the different steps that I've taken, like it was like, are you up for it? And yeah. everyone kind of had a decision to come with or stay at the Atlantic. So right. I was kind of like, let's go. Yeah. Like, of course. Which is amazing. And as it gets into the future and who knows when it gets announced versus podcast, but I've already now, just as your friend, seen you make even crazier moves yeah. and like representative of the Fever 333 things where like, yeah. or even uh, back to nothing nowhere, like yeah. all these things where you're quick, like you get this gut feeling, you yeah. go all in right? and you've even done stuff like that that's going to make even crazier waves sure. at Electra already. Yeah. Which, yeah, we're finalizing a couple of things and we've brought in a label, Public Consumption with Zach and Avanche, yeah. who were Synergy, that have a couple bands under their umbrella that we're now bringing into the Feel Bar Ramen Electra system. Which is so through cool. their label. Like they do such cool things already. Yeah. So to partner And they were the ones them. that grew Nothing Nowhere. So yeah. that was again. We have to an, give them huge an, credit there. A natural relationship that we were like, do that again with other ones. Yep. And they were like, we have all these other ones. We're like, great. And so, they're so smart. So yeah. like you guys aligning with that and yeah. like what you're building there, like again, as we're talking about it right now yeah. early days but like that's just putting a lot of really smart people together totally. and i feel like that's hard to go wrong absolutely yeah and we just announced the first one fredo disco like last month yeah um in april so yeah and then another one that i've told you is you know in the works right now that we'll hopefully revisit but it's yeah. kind of another crazy full circle yeah insane moment that will hopefully be uh, a huge success yes so God, like, I feel like I might, like, I'm just going to have to have you come back. There's too much to talk about. <laughs> but um, I feel like that pretty much paints the story of your sure. career and all of that. And as I'm saying it, like, I literally just said that. I'm like, yeah, fuck, I'm going to have to bring you back for just, like, speed round advice on all that. Now that people know your story, I'm going to have to have, like, the episode of, like, the Fair. let's go back and crack into it. But I guess just to to wrap it, and we don't have to haul ass through this, but, like, because you are so experienced in this, I feel like you're a good one to advise on this. So I'll do a question from both ends. Mm -hmm. um, as an artist, if, if an artist is listening to this, yep. what would you say, like, first off, just explain what a good record deal should look like, like what an artist would get, like the positives of working with a label. And then also to like, uh, what to what to do as an artist or like some of the things that you like to see in an artist to sure. get noticed. Sure. I mean, it goes back to kind of my self-titled pitch to the producers where it's like you as a band, if you can write your own, if you like you focus on your songs and we can kind of hopefully handle or help with the rest. Mm -hmm. That's the ideal record label simplified situation. But you come to me right now and you say, Hey, I have this band. They're doing X amount of numbers. They've toured, they've done this, blah, blah, blah. I say, great. All, what we really like to do is hammer in on the vision, find out what they need, and just fucking pour gas all over it so that tell more people about it, amplify everything. And mm -hmm. okay, like this band has 
like the SoundCloud stuff was less of a tour thing and for a while to where it was like, okay, then we help get an agent if you need it, get you on tour, get you on the right tours, get you in the other other spots, pitch you to playlists, pitch you to, you know, producers and features and co-writers or whatever you want, as little or as much of that as possible. I mean, I've done it all. Like I've had people like, again, the second Nothing Noah record, he's like, I don't want to work with anyone. I want to go to my basement. And two weeks later, handed me the record finished. Yeah. And I was like, oh, should we get it mixed? He's like, it is mixed. I'm like, great. Yeah. Like that was it. But I've also done the thing where bands have turned in 50 plus songs and then we go through them and we go, this bridge is great, but I don't really love where this one, the vibe of it's like as detailed as you can imagine, we've done all of it. So it's what it's kind of an a la carte thing with what a band needs. And again, we're once we get whatever you want to call the release or the music, right. We then just tell as many people about as possible, whether it's through publicity, touring, pitching it to DSPs or whatever marketing levels we can take it to. Like, that's it. Or call our friends and other bands and be like, yo, can you take so-and-so on tour? Can you help here? Can you tweet about it? Like whatever, yeah. like silly little parts that well, you don't think about, we, we try to do. I think like you said, like you kind of like pour gasoline on it. Mm-hmm. And I think that like that kind of answers it too. And we've talked about this outside of the podcast, but like we've watched your label system do so well when a band is already on fire and then you pour gasoline on it. And I think that maybe that is the thing to say to an artist as well is like, start your fire on your own. Like a label isn't, if you pour gas on the sidewalk, it's not going to catch on fire. Yeah, exactly. It has to be something tangible or like something starting some embers of it. Yeah. Like have those embers, have the, whatever that is, make that real on your own and then find the right label to like pour gas on it. Totally. And it, I mean, even a perfect example is the band Camino. Like they've been touring for over two years or putting out music for over two years, I should say, and went through all the steps. They didn't skip any steps. They played all these little shitty hometowns, places and whatever and then toured and toured and toured and we went to that show together at the uh, Moroccan dude where it was like bananas and I had seen the band prior and previous tours so I've seen the growth I've watched it for over a year and a half two years and then I saw that show and was like oh my god and I even kind of turned to you it was like this is a real fucking thing now dude we just felt it yeah it was like a moment and then I went and listened to some songs that night with them and I was like oh shit the stuff they have in the tank is even better than what I've already loved yeah and then I flew to Houston with my boss and you know, whatever we went and we saw it in Houston again. And I was like, see, mm-hmm. and then it, when it happens, it happens really fast. Yeah. So, but they built a story and they, an undeniable story. Like they have sometimes more listeners than people on labels or they sell more tickets than some people that have been touring for three years. Like it's an interesting difference. But then again, Fever had played one show, right? hadn't released one song. Yeah. You know, all these pieces are very different. And, yeah. you know, we've signed Nothing Knower when he had, a basement record put out like but they all started their own fires absolutely like there's something you need for sure was let live or you know jason was let yeah, live. yeah. He, he had put all in these time. great connections he had all the songwriting skills right. and he made a moment yeah and he wanted a big first splash yeah and like regardless of a label or not like him coming at it the way he did that's still fire yeah i agree so that yeah yeah i mean every one of the things i've signed i could point to a specific moment of falling in love with it and then having it be affirmed by whatever they've been doing confirmed. I feel like I said that uh, stupid. Affirmed, I feel like they both affirmed work, works yeah. there. All right, yeah. cool. And then like, and then to be like, it happens really fast after that. None, nothing I've ever done takes six months to negotiate. Like it's a thing where it's like the band falls in love with the idea of being with us as much as I have pitched and sold the, this is what we do. 
Yeah. Like, do you want to come to the party? And if you don't, that's all good. That yeah. happens too. And yeah. it's fine. Totally. But I, I like the transparency and like the instant feel of it. Um, so it's always like when someone's like, well, how do we get the attention? How do we do this? It's like all of those things I just said came to me so differently that yeah. there is no one way. But if I have to, if I look at something and it's not exciting, then it's like, well, I have to make that exciting then. And if I'm more excited than they are, that's not a good relationship. Yeah. So I always look to something to have it be doing something or at least have a plan laid out. Cause even, you know, even like with fever, they had one song out, one video out and played one show. When I sat though, I could feel everything. And again, like you're saying, I knew his history and it was yeah. a similar way of where he was going. So there was a time when it was like, usually you'd be like, well, we got to go see it live. We got to do this. But it's like with that, I was like, I kind of know what's going on here. Yeah. But other stuff, it's like, you know, you want to see some sort of growth. And a lot of people get stuck in this mindset of like, well, we would be bigger if we had a label. It's yeah. like, well, not really. Right. I mean, yes, of course, I hope. But you still, it goes back to us promoting what you're, what you're making. And if what you're making is not getting me excited now, how is it going to get me excited if I'm trying to get so-and-so at Apple or Spotify? You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just, I can't sell what you've made. And I get it. Like we could get into the A&R process and make better music with better song, with better producers and whatever. That's fine. That all works. But at the core of it, your shitty sounding demos should be good songs. Yeah. Or at least partly good songs where I'm like, whoa, whatever that chorus is, yeah. you could throw the rest out. That's fine. But like where it's, that it's the thing, falsetto of Saturday. You totally need to hear that the falsetto moment. of Saturday. Where I heard it was just like, it's over. Like this band is big. And I don't, you know, again, like I never like pat myself on the back. I didn't do anything for that band outside of be their friends and right. watch the rise. But it was truly like, oh, you did it. Yeah. Got it. And they had cool moments on their previous record that I was like, you guys are really good. But that was like, oh, you're a big fucking band now. Yeah. But they weren't yet, but they sounded like it already. Yeah. Okay. Um, and again, like I'm just, I, I did a podcast episode with, uh, our buddy Ben Farber and right. like, we're huge fans 100%. of how the fuck do I podcast, which is his podcast. And his whole thing is like actionable items. Totally. So like, I really like that piece and I feel like you're good to weigh in on that. So the other one, the other side of that, that I want to touch on just a second is that's for the artist if you are the kid that relates more to you, that mm -hmm. like you're excited about music, you're listening to all these songs and all that, and you want to be a part of this, but you don't know where to start. Right. Where do you start? Wow. It, uh, many different ways. Again, yeah. unfortunately, it's a broad answer, but there's some specific stuff you can do. Um, it depends on what role. I would highly recommend not being picky. Like, again, I started at Feel by Ramen as a retail person. Yeah. Like, I wasn't stoked on calling indie record stores, begging them to take three Punchline or Fall Out Boy records. But that's how I knew I could be around people that were operating within my favorite label and then learning day in, day out from people that were, like, successful. So I went into it with no intention of being a and I had a bullet point job description that was i still have it printed out at home my first ever retail fuel bar ramen bullet points it was like 20 things and it was just like this is what you will do every day wow and i was like great and you were okay with that yeah i was like fuck it yeah. if i don't take a shot i'll never know and if i hate it then i stop doing it yeah whatever it doesn't life's not over if i go and then i hate it then i didn't like it anyway so you're open to do something that was not necessarily the dream job description not at all you the dream job yeah put yourself around people that you wanted to be around yeah just to bump into the right position when it came about or the right person yeah. or whatever which i bumped into all of it at once which was very fortunate and again all my friends were signed there so it was a little bit easier um but 
I would say finding any way to provide value to anyone at a label, any which way possible, whether it be interning, whether it be, hey, I see you do A&R, here's a, I'm gonna send you a list of 10 things I listen to on a weekly basis that I find. Great, Yeah, that'd be awesome. Because what happens if I love two of them, five of them, 10 of them, and I sign one, then I'm like, yo, keep sending me stuff. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I'm not hiring anyone, but what if I can at some point? Or what if we are as a company? Or what if another label comes up and I'm like, well, now I feel like an, it's the Academia's moment again where I go, well, fuck, I'm kind of holding this person hostage when I know my buddies at Fearless are hiring or like whatever. It's like, you know, you kind of just got to show your value before you get hired. And that's what everyone's always like, how do I get an A&R job? I'm like, you don't. Mm. You literally have to do anything to prove that you would do good at it. And that's how you get it. Whether that be start a music blog, start a playlist that starts popping, like do anything to show record of like, hey, I do this. Look at who I found when. Look at what I said about them when I said it. It's timestamped on a blog, right? And it's like, I found Fall Boy in 2002, and then you guys signed him in 2003. I said they were going to blow, like, whatever. And it, again, don't get it twisted because it's really easy to call your shots when you're not investing your own money yeah. and actually digging in and breaking a band. You just start blogging and you just fucking take every artist. They're going to blow and, up, they're going to blow up. And that exists up. too, but that's what drives me nuts, which is a whole nother podcast about agents and lawyers and people that don't invest their own money they're like i was on it early it's like cool you could sign fucking 400 bands today i can't amazing so it's just a you know whatever but any sort of track record if you could build a resume your resume doesn't matter your schooling doesn't matter none of that no one's ever asked me if i went to college i didn't so it doesn't matter but if i showed them my llr history they that's go, your, oh, that's crazy. You worked with that band before I heard of it. This one too, this one too, this one. Oh, and you convinced them to let you control that part of their career with them? You put your money where your mouth was. You went 30K into debt. That was it. By believing in them. Totally. And yeah. that was exactly what I think it took to convince someone like John and the guys in Fall Boy and all these other people that put in the good word for me to be like, no, he gives a fuck. Like he risked it all multiple times for these bands and these bands are now like touring and selling and opening great tours and selling records. And it's like, those are the things without that, I would never get a job at Fubar Ramen. How would I? What They didn't have open, you know, I didn't submit a resume or anything. It just worked because it just, you bump, you bump into stuff if you do it right. Yeah. So whatever tactical way you could prove that you'd be good at it, starting your own label, doing whatever, like how many times have you and I talked about version three? Yeah. Where I was like, just do that. Dude, you, you have bullied me into doing things that are good for my career so many times. And I say that so lovingly, but it's including this podcast, I think actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I had my, like I'll give mad props to Ben because like seeing him do it so well, I was like, Holy fuck. But like, yeah, like us sitting at the Moroccan lounge, the the fucking band Camino show, we're looking at podcast notes on our phones and we were just like, why the fuck is this not? Yeah. I was like, how did you not just start this tonight? Yeah. And we're just like, fuck it's funny when people challenge you like that and you're out of excuses dude you've done that to me so many fucking times Good. that's what it needs though but that's like a conversational person that keeps you like going and again i don't want any credit or anything it's just one of those moments that's like this is what you should be doing like all you do is talk to me about it so why you know what i mean so yeah. it was like kind of one of those natural like just and and look if you did five episodes or whatever and you were like this sucks, I don't like it, then it goes away. Stop. What yeah. would have been the issue? Yeah. You wasted a couple hours per episode yeah. figuring out, spend a couple hundred bucks on mics and shit. It's like, yeah. that's the thing that people get in the way about. It's like, 
you could stop stuff. It's right. very okay to just be done with something and be like, I, I did it. And then if you looked back and were like, oh, I half-assed it, that sucked. At least then you learned that. You yeah. know, like there's always something to take from it. And I mean, there was a time in my early field ball ramen where I was fucking coasting. I was like, kind of like disconnected from some of it. And I felt really like unmotivated. Getting fired that day changed my life for the better. Wow. Well, that's literally my last question for you was if you could go back to a part of the most uncertainty or turmoil yeah. and give yourself any advice with where you're at now, what would that be? So maybe that is that time where you got fired. I don't know. Yeah, no, I feel like, fuck, it's, it's hard because I kind of feel like I did all right in the turmoil as, mm -hmm. as it was in the sense of like, I would agree. Keeping my head on and yeah. not being like, poor me. And I've seen a lot of people get the poor me stuff. And then like, a couple months into whatever runway they have, they're like, well, I guess I should start asking around for another. It's like, I was so immediately like, all right, that fucking sucks. And I was on the phone, on and off the phone with lawyers and HR and all this bullshit. And in between that, I'm getting fired up about this new venture. And yeah. again, I'm like no longer known as like the guy at FBR. Like I was like, whoa, this is such an identity shift in a negative way, but also in a way where it's like, oh, I'm no longer the guy at FBR. Like I'm anything I want to be now. Mm. And when I first went to Feel By Ramen too, a few other labels were like, kind of reached out and were kind of like, I didn't know you were looking for a job. I was like, I wasn't. Uh, they asked. Yeah. Same thing when I went to Equal Vision. Yeah. So it's like, it's this thing of like, when you shed one thing and then you kind of knock on a couple doors, you're like, oh fuck. I maybe would have done this sooner if I knew how cool it was yeah. here. But I naturally always kind of like just took a safe route. I say that when I tell you about a lot of weird risks, but at times you get a little coasting, you know, and you're just kind of like, all right. Well, yeah, that is, it's a, it's a funny question for me to ask you on that because like, as we've gone through the story, to be honest, you've done a pretty good job of going with the, any turmoil or anything of that. Ideally. Yeah. Um, it's been all right. But no, I think like that yeah. does say it well still. It's yeah. Just, yeah. And honestly, it's like, there's definitely times where there's a lot of self-doubt or whatever it takes. It's, you know, only human when you do something and it doesn't pan out exactly what you wanted or whatever artist doesn't go exactly the way you needed it to. And you're like, did I fuck that up? Did they like, what the fuck happened here? So but, the, the human that is naive in the perfect yeah. ways that is extremely passionate about music <laughs> that has done all of these things does still feel self-doubt every now and then. hundred percent. And honestly, okay. when they're. When you're, you know, at a point of putting stuff out and it not going exactly as planned, it's like that self-doubt is so immediate because, again, it bums me out that they believed in me or whatever. And then I'm looking at them going, well, I don't want to point the finger at you. So what could I have done differently? Which, you know, a lot of the way I operate now where I like yeah. I remove as much reasons of i remove as much hurdles away from the runway ever so it's like i'm putting out a song i'm doing everything i can to where everyone that hopefully will be posting about it knows about it like yeah. i'm not leaving things to chance i'm not doing anything in the sense of like well i hope it works Ooh, that that, that can't right happen. there i feel like that's the best like final note to leave it on is like not leaving it to chance yeah. because I've watched you it. do that time and time again. Yeah. And that isn't easy to do. That isn't tweeting it. That isn't saying it in a podcast. Yeah. That means actionable yeah. shit. That means like the extra hours, the drive yeah. to go see Jason, the sending that uncomfortable email or text yeah. to follow up on something you're passionate about. Right. And I've just seen you do that so much that you're not afraid of it anymore. Yeah. And I think it's funny because every one of those things that you build as a scary step, you do it, right? And then you're like, 
well, that kind of went the way I wanted it to. And you're like, I got to just do that more. Next time I'm super fucking nervous to call an artist and explain something to them, I need to just be okay with it because at the other end, they're humans too. And yeah, there's a lot of assholes out there that are like, what the fuck, you know? And But then they're assholes, right? Yeah. And then it goes away or they're whatever. They're probably assholes regardless. Yeah, so. whether it was going to be successful or failure or they wanted to sign or didn't, like you maybe got off easy at that point where you're like, oh, now I see you're an asshole. Great. I don't yeah. need to work with you. That's good, man. Yeah. I think we did it. I, I feel like I might have to bring you back here just mm. for like the, the advice rounds or just the, cool. the listener questions. But Load them up and we'll do it again. This was, this was really good. Well, I'm glad you started a podcast. Thank you for that. Uh, I told you to start one just so I could be on it. So this is all <laughs> a, self, a self-righteous moment. And I can't wait to be on yours because I oh, know it'll shit. fucking happen. Yeah, that'll be fun at some point. You'll do it. No time soon, but yeah. Where can everybody find you? Um, I think it's just my full name on all of it. Johnny Minardi on Twitter, Instagram. You know, that's probably the easiest actually because those are, yeah. check them every now and again and I get the alerts. So yeah, do it up. Yeah. And he's a fun follow. He always, <laughs> I feel like you're just so honest about like your, what you're listening to, you know, like you can see every day, like what yep. album you're bumping or what yep. you're excited about. It's, it's good. Hell yeah. Well, that's that. So follow along and let's have some fun. Well, hell yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank Seriously. you, brother. So there you have it. Johnny's story. Uh, I mean, like I said in the beginning, like uh, he is such an incredible story. I have so much respect for him. He has accomplished and done so much and he genuinely has stayed humble about it. Um, you know, like, like we said in the episode, like, Passing the elevator back down has been such a common theme in his life. Like when I met him, just connecting and like even from there, seeing how much he's done for the community of music and seeing like through and through, like he is just that kid that cares about music since day one, like him finding music that he loves and then just like going in on it and not worrying about all the other stuff. Like that's such a common theme. So I really hope you liked that. I hope it inspired you. I didn't even get to talk about this in the episode, but like it's still there. Like that spark and that fire, like he has a family. He lives an hour plus from his office. He drives back home. He does emails at night when his daughter goes to sleep. And like where you'd think that somebody would get burnt out, every time I talk to him and ask him, it's just that passion and that excitement to keep doing what it what he does. Like he genuinely loves it. So I hope that that translated through the episode. I hope you felt that. I hope that inspired you. Uh, the other part of it was like he has so many actionable gems and he does have so much knowledge and wisdom. And we touched on it a little bit at the end. But like seriously, because he is that guy that is so willing to help, if you do have more questions from the artist side, from the industry side, from any side, if you found his tips helpful, let us know if there's more questions to cover. Like, again, luckily I can have him come back if there is more to do there. Um, and I think that there's a lot more to be learned. So let us know if that's something you're interested in. Like I always say, share the episode if you liked it. Uh, social media is really the best way for all of this to grow. So screenshots, do whatever, whatever creative way you want to share it. I promise you it means the world to me. iTunes reviews is very helpful for gaining the podcast's uh, algorithm or being discovered by new listeners. So any five stars on iTunes and reviews, things like that help a lot. I'm at Andrew underscore FTW. He is at Johnny Minardi on everything. 
I think that says it all. Thank you so much for listening. I've been having a ton of fun. So I really appreciate you guys uh, listening and sharing. Cool. I'm out. Late.